Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture The Third Man. That was the shot that killed Harry Lyon. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyon. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyon had many lives. And I can recount all of them. How do I know? Very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyon. Harold Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. Mr. Wolf? No, he isn't. Huh? Oh, well. For you, maybe he is. I'm not here. Oh, yes, yeah. He's always here. I've gone out. Oh, no. He seldom ever goes out. I won't start on anything tonight. Oh, sure. He'd love to start on a case tonight. Phooey. <laughs> Hello there, this is Diamond. You know, this business I'm in can get pretty silly sometimes. I can go along for a whole month and get by on nothing but meals at the automat and a dozen laughs a day. The funny ones usually pay just as well as the tough ones, but eventually somebody starts something that's about as funny as an open grave. Here is your guide to these adventures of the mind. There is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you this fall. OCR Rock. And now, here is OCR Hello, everyone. This is OTR Rob welcoming you to another edition of the Richard Diamond Private Detective. This episode is from November 26th. 1949, the episode is entitled The William Carter Memory Loss. And after that, we have The Lives of Harry Lyme from August 24th, 1951. The episode is entitled The Ticket to Tangier. And after that is The Saint with Vincent Price. From July 2nd, 1950, the episode is entitled A Search for a Killer... And Box 13 from October 31st, 1947. The episode is entitled, Blackmail is Murder. And after that is The New Adventures of Nero Wolf from March 30th, 1950. The episode is entitled, The Telltale Ribbon. And we're almost to the end of The New Adventures of Nero Wolf. Nero Wolf. <laughs> I think I have two episodes left, uh, and I think I think I'm right about that. So I don't know if I'm going to replace it with something else, or just leave these four episodes that I'm presenting from now on to you. 
I don't know yet because it's hard to find more detective shows that have movie stars in them. I think I just about uh, panned this out completely. But uh, anyway, so enjoy all of these shows and stay safe, be careful, wash your hands, all that stuff. Be good as an angel because Christmas is coming. on how many lights you leave on in the study. But are you coming over? Wouldn't miss it. I've been puckered up since 8 o'clock this morning. Francis has the night off. I'll have dinner for you in by the fire. Well, take it easy. The last time you built a fire, it got so hot I had to keep basting myself for a week. Oh, Rick. Sure. The next day I walked by Linda's and some guy grabbed me and shoved an apple in my mouth. <laughs> Said he'd get fired if I didn't climb back in the window and lie down. Oh, I'll see you tonight. Bye. Bye. Now, let's see. Where did I put the soap? Mr. Diamond? Oh, it depends on what you want him for. If it's the rent, he's being buried over in Jersey this afternoon. My name is Dr. Edward Gerson from Bellevue Hospital. I have nothing to do with the rent. Well, if you're with the Sanity Commission, Diamond's still in Jersey. It is apparent that you are behind in your rent and you wish to remain buried in Jersey for the moment. Well, it's not as bad as it sounds. Are you a potential client? I'm a psychiatrist, Mr. Oh. Well, pick a good one. How about Applenocker? All right. I'm in a rather peculiar position, Mr. Applenocker. Oh, I don't know. I always sit like that. <laughs> for the past four days, I've been treating a young man for an unusual type of shock. What did he do? Run his electric train in the bathtub? <laughs> You're quite an interesting case yourself. Are you always so unconcerned when someone comes to you with a problem? Look, doctor, everybody's got a problem. That's why I'm in business. If you've got a big one, you'll get by uh, my little remarks, and I'll be glad to see what I can do for you. Quite a philosophy. All right, then. Let's both get down to business, Mr. Applenocker. Oh, now, uh, what's your trouble? This boy I mentioned, he disappeared five days ago. Hmm? You said you'd been treating him for four days. He couldn't have been gone very long. A day and a night. Hmm. He was found the next morning wandering through the Bowery. Unable to speak, unable to understand anything. I see. Someone took him to Bellevue. Luckily, the family's private physician is also on the staff at Bellevue. He saw the boy and called the family immediately. And you've been treating him ever since? Yes. Last night, the boy began to talk, make reasonable sense. Now, this would continue for perhaps a few hours, then he would lapse into a complete state of confusion. Each time, he was given a sedative, and each time, as the sedative wore off, he talked for a while, knew who he was, started to tell about the missing night, and then... Lapse once more into this state of, well, confusion. Hmm. And you think something happened during this missing night and he doesn't want to remember it. Correct. Did you ever study psychology? Uh, every day, Doctor. I get enough screwy cases in here to make your clientele look like a bunch of Einsteins. And now stop unlocking my mind. There's a draft. <laughs> well, as you said, this boy won't let himself remember something that happened on that missing night. 
He'll talk about everything up to that point, but the minute he reaches it... Yeah, he jumps the tracks. Well, yes. Uh, what do you want me to do? You uh, know what I want you to do, Mr. Diamond. Okay, okay. Now, here's one that will throw you. You know what I want you to do? <laughs> the boy's family is quite willing to meet any expense that you feel is necessary. Oh, remind me not to take you on a double date. <laughs> if I don't discover what happened to this boy on the night in question, I'm afraid he might lose his mind permanently. These periods of confusion are becoming more frequent, and sooner or later, he won't be able to distinguish between the real and the unreal. I'm going to put him under narcosynthesis this evening, and I'd like you to be present. All right, Doctor. What's the boy's name? William Carter. Be at Bellevue at 8 o'clock and ask for me. The boy's family will be there also, and you can tell them about your fee. Now, uh, just give me a quick answer and leave my motives alone. Is his family wealthy? Quite. And I'll see you at 8 o'clock, Dr. Gerson. You uh, would have anyway. Goodbye, Mr. Applenocker. You know, you can feel pretty silly when a guy like that walks in and answers all your questions before you got time to think him up. Anyway, I remembered my dinner date with Helen and put in a fast call to the little redhead. She was unhappy, naturally, but she said something about me holding the pucker to drop around whenever I had the time. At 8 o'clock, I was standing in the long hall at the Bellevue Hospital. Dr. Murray, report to the second floor desk, please. Dr. Murray, to the second floor desk. Good evening, Mr. Diamond. Oh, uh, hello, Dr. Gerson. What's the matter? Dr. You look Hacker, a little nervous. Well, the hospitals bother me. That's very Dr. interesting. Hacker, the family is at the end of the hall. Let's go down. Uh, tell me, Doctor, just what exactly happens when you put William Carter under this narcosynthesis? It's an intravenous injection. It unlocks those little doors in the back of his mind. Gets him to talk. You'll see. It's really very amazing. Uh, right here. Good evening, Doctor. Mrs. Carter. How's the boy? Uh, not much change. This is Mr. Diamond, Mr. and Mrs. Carter. How do you How do? How do you do? How do you do? Uh, Mrs. Carter, uh, Dr. Gerson wants me to find out what happened to your son the night he was missing. Have you any idea? He said he had a date. When I asked him who it was, he wouldn't tell me. That's all we know. I think William will be able to recreate what happened for you, Mr. Diamond. Now I'll leave you to discuss uh, business. And when you are through, stop at the desk. We'll show you where I am. Well, I... Well, I... I... Yes, Mr. Diamond. What is your fee? Oh, thank you. Believe me. A hundred a day in expenses. And uh, your retainer? One day's work. Mr. Diamond, can you help our boy? Uh, Mrs. Carter, I, I don't really know. I'll write you a check. Oh, thanks, thanks. Mrs. Carter, uh, whatever it is that's strong enough to make your son jump is... Uh, uh, lose his memory. It might you be... think maybe it's something bad? I know it's something bad. How bad? I, I've got to find out. I hope it's not uh, more serious than I think. Oh, yes, I know. Here you are, Mr. Diamond. Oh, thanks. I'll keep in touch. I left the Carters with that lousy feeling in my stomach. I looked at the check. Two hundred bucks. For what? Maybe a down payment on a man's sanity. Maybe not. William Carter could have done a lot of things that missing night. Maybe that two hundred bucks was going to be a mortgage on murder. I went down to the desk and an intern showed me downstairs to a small room with one desk lamp in the corner. 
I'm glad you didn't take too long. The patient will be down in a minute. Oh, uh, isn't this a little irregular, Doctor? I mean, uh, uh, oh, me listening in on a man's secrets. If he's done something against the law, I want you to find out whether it really happened. Well, if he tells you about it, it must have happened. He might have thought it happened. I can't take the chance. If he's committed some sort of a crime, I don't think I'll be able to do much for him. Now, I want you to sit behind that screen there and be perfectly quiet. Sure. Comfortable? Oh, yes, yes. The needle can't reach this far. Uh, This uh, should be quite interesting for you, Diamond, particularly in your kind of work. Uh, You can find out about uh, anything you want with this stuff, can't you, Doctor? If it's a recent shock, why? Oh, I was just thinking about a little blonde I know. Now, here he is. Roll him right over here. Uh, oh. Now lift him over on the bed. Uh, oh. It's all right, William. Uh, Everything is going fine. All oh. right, thank you, nurse. How do you feel, William? Uh, Can you understand me? Uh, say it again. Say it again. Can you understand me, William? Yes. Yes, yes, but keep talking. Say anything. Just just make my mind stop jumping around. Sure. It's nice in this hospital, isn't it? Huh? It's nice in this hospital. Yeah. Oh, what's the matter with me? Just be quiet. Think about lying in a boat under the warm sun. Uh, lying in a boat. Lying in a boat. Lying in a boat. Uh-huh. Just lying in the sun, rocking back and forth. What are you going to do? This won't hurt. You're going to have a nice, long sleep. Oh, yeah, please, please. I want to sleep. There. Now start counting. Do what? Do what? Tell me again. Start counting. One. One. Two. Two. You're doing fine. Keep counting. Three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I sat behind the screen and listened to the doctor begin. At the start, Carter seemed almost glad to talk about it. He described the beginning of the evening. He had a date. A girl named Helena on 53 East 51st Street. Did you have a good time with Helena? Wonderful time. We went dancing. Where did you He go kept dancing? talking all about the evening. Uh, they danced and drank. We went to a little the doctor kept digging, working at it, looking for every little detail. After you got through dancing? We went to her apartment. We uh, had some more drinks. Pretty strong ones. Who made them? What? Who made the drinks? Helena did. Then he came in. Who came in? He did. The man. The man? The man just came into Helena's apartment. Who are you? Helena, who is this guy? What are you doing here, William? What are you doing? What do you want? Get out. Get out. I don't care who you are. I'm not going to get out, William. I don't believe it. You're not her husband. Stop it. Take your hands off her. He's hurting Helena. Yeah, I'll fix you. Lena needs help. There. You hit him. Yeah. Gotta get out of here. Why do you? I gotta. I gotta get out. He's dead. 
It's up to you. Find out if he really did it. Okay. Thank you. For what? Well, according to William Carter, he'd gone to a girl's apartment, the husband had come in, and he'd killed him. Cases like that don't make me a happy gumshoe, but I had a $200 retainer in my pocket, so I had to keep going. My first stop was the 5th Precinct Police Station and Lieutenant Walt Levinson. When I walked into the squad room, I spotted Sergeant Otis tying a square knot in his shoelace. I'll be right with you, gumshoe. Hey, Otis, what happens when you break one of those shoelaces? Oh, what do you think happens? I get a new one. For those shoes? What do you use, a mooring liner for the Queen Mary? Oh, why don't you lay off? I thought we was pals. Is the lieutenant in? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Otis, if your shoes wear out, why don't you do like the Dutch do? Oh, what's that? Wear wooden ones. Just go out and rent yourself a couple of rowboats. Oh. Hello, Walt. Good evening, Mr. Diamond, and thank you for stopping by so late. Well, now, what do you mean? You've got some horrible scheme up your sleeve, but I don't have to play straight, man. I'm off duty in exactly three minutes. It'll take two. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I want a list of DOAs for the night of November 12th. What's the matter? Can't you find a little old corpse all by your lonesome? Oh, shut up. Or does the police department have to furnish you with one? Well, if you just cooperate, sassy, you'll be out of here in two minutes. Now, thanks. Wow. Hmm, three of them, huh? If that's what it says, why, is the one we haven't found? Two women and a man. Yeah, the man's my department, homicide. Mm, Herbert Fisher, found in his wife's apartment on 51st Street, married to Helena Fisher. Hmm, what about Helena, Walt? We're still looking for her. Neighbors say she and her husband hadn't been living together for several months. The old boy must have come home, found her with another guy, and got heated up. Either the wife or the other guy killed him. Huh? How do you know there was another guy? Well, the neighbors say a young guy started seeing her about a week before. Came up with her that night. We haven't a line on him yet, but we're checking. What killed him? Poker from the fireplace, beaten over the head. Oh, no prints. Nope, clean as a whistle. Say, what's with you? What are you so interested in this killing for? Oh, I just like to hear about crimes. Oh, now stop that. If you know something... I do know something, Wall. Yeah, what? One word. Will it help me solve this case? I don't know. Well, what is it? Bye. I left the precinct and headed back to Bellevue and Dr. Gerson. I had a hunch that was growing roots, and if William Carter's sanity was going to be saved, it would have to be done in a hurry. Up till now, only four people knew who was in that apartment when Fisher was killed. Myself, a missing girl named Helena, the potential killer, William Carter, and the good doctor. The girl hasn't gone to the police? Why, if William Carter did it? Well, that's what I've been asking myself all the way down here, Doctor. Unless she wants to protect him. That's the only one I could come up with. I want to ask you two questions, Doctor. First, do you think William Carter would pick up a poker and beat a man on the head? That's hard to say. He might. Would he then wipe his fingerprints off? According to what he told me, he killed the man and rushed immediately from the apartment. I'd say no to the fingerprints. Mm, That's what I'd say. He suffered the shock immediately after he killed the man. He knew he had to get out, but after that, he can't remember a thing. May I use your phone? Certainly. Doctor, how could Carter be sure that he'd killed the man? Why, I don't know. If you remember, he didn't say. He just said he'd killed him. Homicide, Lieutenant Levinson. I thought you were going home. I got to sit up with a headache. Oh, well, I want some information. Where did the murdered man live if he wasn't staying with his wife? Oh, now, wait a minute. We know who did it. Hmm? You do? 
Sure, some guy named Carter, William Carter. I sent some of the boys over to his house ten minutes ago. How do you know he did it? Because Helena Fisher walked into the station and told us so. You got the girl? Yeah, we're holding her until we pick up the Carter guy. Seems Carter was in her apartment with her. I know the story. You do? You do? I'll be right down. Well, they've got Helena, Doctor. She says William Carter killed her husband. Yes, I heard. Well, I'm afraid I can't do much for him now. I think you can. There's one thing that smells too rotten to make sense. Why did William Carter take enough time to wipe off those fingerprints? Because he didn't want to be discovered. Well, if he didn't want anyone to know he did it, why didn't he kill the girl? Oh, good Lord, I never thought of that. I got an idea. And it may mean you bending the law a little, Doctor, but it might save William Carter. What do you want me to do, Mr. Diamond? Is there any way you can find out from Carter exactly what he did after he struck the man? Of course. When he comes out of his sleep, he'll be able to talk about it. Can he be moved? Well, yes, if it's necessary. Then get him out of here. Take him somewhere. Even if his family covers for him, it's just a matter of time until Lieutenant Levinson finds out he was picked up and put in here. This is extremely dangerous. Look, if he believes he killed this guy, the girl's story will hold water. The only way that I can see to make him snap out of it is to prove to him that he really didn't kill anybody. That's right. Uh, Don't you think he did kill that man? Uh, Maybe, but I doubt it. Can he walk? Yes. Good. Take him down to my office. Here's the key. Stay there until you hear from me. You know, I I like you, Diamond, and I respect you, but this is... You want to save the boy's life? Of course. Then get him down to my office. I left the hospital and grabbed a cab back to the 5th precinct. Sometimes when things don't add up like ABC, you've got to go out into left field for the answer. Everything pointed to William Carter, and he believed it himself. But I kept thinking about those fingerprints. I told Walt my idea. Are you crazy? So the guy did wipe off the prints but didn't kill the girl. Whatever. People do crazy things the first time they knock somebody off. Besides, you can't go around posing as a police sergeant. Oh, now stop that, Walt. Admit it. There's a hole someplace. But you told me yourself the Carter guy admits killing the girl's husband. In his condition, he'd admit anything. He says he did it. The girl says he did it. What more do you want? I don't want any doubts at all. Will you just try the idea? If you'll tell me where you've got William Carter. Promise not to have the boys there? Just you? Yes, yes, I get me He's in my office. Wouldn't you know it? Okay, Walt. Get the girl in here and tell her just what I told you. I don't need any rehearsals. Otis. Yeah, Lieutenant. Send Mrs. Fisher in here. Right. I hope you know what you're doing. You're putting me in an awful spot. Well, if it works, Walt, the state won't burn an innocent man. Yes, but this... Uh, Mrs. Fisher, Lieutenant. Oh, come in, Mrs. Fisher. Thank you, Lieutenant. Sit down. This is Sergeant Diamond. Oh, Uh, How do you do, Sergeant Diamond? Uh, How do you do, Mrs. Fisher? We've checked your story and everything seems to be all right. You can go home, but please don't leave town. Uh, I'm terribly sorry about this. I I know I should have told you sooner, but William was... Well, I I didn't know what to do. You did the right thing. Have you found William yet? No, but we will. Well, didn't you check his house? Isn't he with his family? No, he didn't come home at all. Oh, and that reminds me. You know, you're the only witness who can prove he did kill your husband. Oh, why, yes, I guess I am. Well, I'd be extremely careful. He just might, uh... Lieutenant, you don't think he might try and, and kill me, too? Well, you never know. After a man kills once and he's got time to think about it, he's liable to do anything. Well, then, I, I demand police protection. And you'll get it. Sergeant Diamond here has been assigned to the case. Oh, how nice. I'll do as much as I possibly can. Well, when do you start? Right now. I'll meet you out in the squad room right after I have a few words with the lieutenant. All right, Sergeant. Uh, thank you, Lieutenant. Perfectly all right. 
This is ridiculous. All right, all right. You get over to my office and pick up William Carter and the doctor. I'll stall Mrs. Fisher. Take her to a bar or something. All right. But if the commission hears about this, Sergeant Otis will be the new head of homicide. Nice, Sergeant Diamond. Do you always guard people like this? Just the pretty ones. Oh, thank you. If you really think William might try to harm me, you'll have to stick pretty close, won't you? Mm-hmm. Do you mind? Not at all. What time is it? Uh, 11.30. Getting tired? Yes, a little. It, it's been a hard day. I'll bet it has. What if William comes to my place in the middle of the night? Where will you be? Watching the front door, baby. He won't get in. Watching the door from... Inside or outside? Outside, baby. Sorry. Uh, yes, so am I. Uh, here's my apartment, Rick. Oh, nice place. I don't like it very much since... Look, couldn't I stay in a hotel? Oh, no. Too many ways for a killer to get in. But do you really think William might try and, and get me? What's he hiding out for? Well, he, he could be scared. All the more reason. Men like that don't hide out for a week if they're going to give themselves up. And if William isn't going to give himself up, he'll probably try to get rid of the one person who knows he did the killing. But William isn't like that. He wouldn't... Uh, wouldn't what? I was just going to say he wouldn't kill anybody. But he did. He knows he did. Yes. Well, I'm going out in front and check the building. I'll, I'll be back. Oh, do you have to go? That's a good idea. You just take it easy. But, but, but William has a key. Oh, well, then you better give me one, too. I'll be right out in front. Oh, all right, here. Uh, don't be too long, Rick. I can't stand this place long if I'm alone. Sure, baby. spotted you when you drove up. Hello, doctor. I hope your plan works, Diamond. Yeah. Well, hello, William. He can't hear you. I put him into a deep sleep. He'll only answer my voice. There's only one way that we can get him into that apartment. Well, let's go. Mrs. Fisher is scared to stay. William? Yes? Get out of the car. Uh, come on, Walter. You've got to be there to hear it. If we solve this one, I'll never tell anyone how. Let's go. Come with me, William. Now, William, remember, you are to go up to Helena's apartment and go in. Uh, here's a key, Doctor. Do you understand, William? I am to go up to Helena's apartment and go in. Here's the key. Use the key to let yourself in. The key to let myself in. When you're in, close the door and stand in front of it. And that's all. All right, Mr. Diamond. Here we go. went in through the front door and Dr. Gerson briefed William once more. Then we led him up the stairs and up to Helena Fisher's apartment. I could hear her humming as soon as William tried the key. We all ducked. Who's there? Rick? Answer me, who's there? <gasps> William! What do you want? William, what are you doing here? William, say 
something. Don't just stand there. Oh, you, you... You've got to get out. The police are looking for you. There's one downstairs right now. Well, say something. Stop staring. William, get away from that door. Please, William, please, please. I... I know what you want, William. I... I won't tell anyone. William, say something. Don't look at me like that. You're going to kill me, aren't you? Look, William, you didn't do it. I killed him. I just told you he was dead after you hit him. When you left, I killed him with a poker. William, please! All right, Alina. Oh, he was going to kill me. Sure, like he killed your husband. How's William, Doctor? I'll wake him up when he gets back to the hospital. He'll be all right when he reads Mrs. Fisher's confession. What's going on here? You better go along with the lieutenant, baby. Why? He heard your whole confession from outside the door. What? Why, I, I, I just said he was going to kill me. Also, we found some of your fingerprints on the poker. You're crazy. I wiped them all. Uh, she's all yours, Walt. Let's go, Mrs. Fisher. You tricked me. You tricked me into saying that. Come on, lady. I don't want to get rough. I'll kill you, too. I'll... I think you can take her along now, Lieutenant. <laughs> Holy cow. Why, Doctor. Well, I've never hit a woman before, but this one made me very unhappy. Well, you're a good doctor, uh, Doctor, but you're certainly no gentleman. You should have kicked her. you out so late. It's after midnight. Oh, I had to stick around and watch Otis turn into a pumpkin. Now, that's Cinderella. Yeah. Can you imagine Sergeant Otis as Cinderella? The good prince would slip his sacrum trying to haul his slipper around. Tell me a fairy story, Rick. Well, once upon a time, there were two idiots. Rick. And they lived happily ever after. Sing. Don't like it? Sing. I liked it. Sing. I'll do as I please. Rick. I love those dear hearts and gentle people who live in my hometown. Because those dear hearts and gentle people will never ever let you down. They read the good book from Friday till Monday. That's how the weekend goes. I've got a dream house I'll build there one day With picket fence and rambling rows I feel so welcome Each time that I return That my happy little heart Keeps laughing like a clown I love the dear hearts And gentle people Who live and love in my hometown Knocker. Where'd you pick up that there song? From my hometown, Mountain View, back up in the hills of Arkansas. Oh, that sure was mighty fine. Well, little Bell, I'm glad you liked it. Mind if I bust you up with another eight bar? Nope. Bust away. I love the dear heart and gentle people who live and love in my hometown. Da-da-da-da-da. Well, well. 
Yeah, I think I did pretty fine that air strong. Oh, yes, sir. You done busted me upright proper. Oh, you ought to come over to Mountain View sometime, little Bell. Got dear hearts and gentle people all over the place. Oh, I'd like to make the trip. Oh, you'd love the people. You'd love to see them, love to greet them. How would you greet them, Lula Bell? How would you greet them? What would you say? Howdy! Oh, they'll love you, Lula Bell. just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Helen was played by Virginia Gregg, Lieutenant Levinson by Ed Begley. Also in our cast were Wilms Herbert, Joan Banks, Sam Edwards, and Norman Field. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Richard Diamond is written and directed by Blake Edwards. Dick Powell soon will be seen in the screen version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. Now, this is Eddie King inviting you to be with us again at the same time next week when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. What's on NBC Sunday? There's a full evening of great entertainment in store for you tomorrow on NBC. You'll hear rib-tickling comedy on the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. And for mystery, there's Sam Spade's latest caper. Tomorrow, Sam meets a Mr. Tom Turkey. For the very best radio fare, always tune to NBC. Coming up, it's Brian Donlevy and Hollywood Star Theater on NBC. Hey, everyone, this is OTR Rob. I thought I would step in here and talk a little bit more about the lives of Harry Lyme. Um, the Third Man was filmed in Europe, and after the movie... Orson Welles stayed in Europe because he owed taxes. He underpaid on his income tax. And he was staying in the Europe areas, primarily London, because he wanted to accumulate enough money to pay the taxes when he went back to the United States. So he hooked up with a man named Harry Town, who produced a lot of radio shows for the BBC. And Harry Town was anxious to get Orson Welles to do some of the projects he had in mind because he thought Orson Welles was right for it and also because just a feather in Harry Town's cap to have Orson Welles working for him. And so he did uh, The Lives of Harry Lyme and he also did The Black Museum for... Harry Town, and in that he only narrated, he didn't actually perform, and I think he also did some shows for um, Harry Town for Sherlock Holmes, and he played Moriarty, Sherlock Holmes' um, nemesis, so, uh, and I'm sure that Orson Welles didn't do these shows cheaply, and he could name his price, and I'm sure Harrytown paid that price to Orson Welles because he was a known commodity, even in Europe and even in London, so, and the UK, so, it was a win-win for everyone, so, 
Enjoy this Lives of Harry Lime. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras. was the shot that killed Harry Lyme. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyme had many lives. And I can recount all of them. How do I know? It's very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyme. Down on my luck, way down, scraping the bottom. A couple of deals had fallen through, and I found myself in Paris with a lot of time on my hands, and only the price of a beer in my pocket. I was spending my time and the money at Fouquet's, not because the beer is any cheaper at Fouquet's, but because when you meet a nicer class of people, and besides, they let you read the newspapers free. So I was reading a newspaper, and I came on the advertisement. One of those classified ads in the personal column was addressed to Harry Lyme. Harry Lyme being me, I read on with some interest. There was no signature, no address. As to Harry Lyme, it said, will find a business opportunity of an extremely profitable nature in the city of Tangier. Now, I might have thought this was one of the boys trying to hustle me out of Paris or just trying to be funny, except that the advertisement mentioned the city of Tangier. Now, why Tangier? There are very few places in the world I haven't been to, and Tangier just happened at the time to be one of them. Also, Tangier, as everybody knows, is full of money, and I, I couldn't imagine anybody wanting to send me there right in the heart of the free gold area where every second address is a bank and every second person's an international operator just, just for a gag. Probably more chances in Tangier to grab a fast buck than you'll find in the world today. So I was inclined to take the ad a little seriously. Of course, it might have been a police trap. There are cops in countries all over the globe busy looking for me. Some of them are just sharp enough to try to pull me in on a queer come on like that. But the truth is that one of the only cities left where they don't happen to want me for what's known as questioning is the port of Tangier. And that's what sold me. There's just one complication. My beer was finished, and with it, my financial resources... How to raise the price of the ticket.
Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man, in today's story, Ticket to Tangier. While I was brooding about how to raise the price of the ticket to Tangier, my eye happened to wander down the personal column of the newspaper, and a little below the advertisement addressed to me was this. Gentlemen traveling to Tangier. A visit to the desk of the porter at the Lancaster Hotel on Rue de Berry will repay any businessman planning a visit to Tangier who could whistle a certain tune. Well, of course, that didn't have to be Harry Lyme, but there's a song I'm fond of, one I've been whistling for years. Anybody who knew about me might know about that song anyway. What could I lose? Went over to the hotel and approached the concierge. Uh, bonjour. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, monsieur. Uh, what can I do for you? Well, I don't quite know that you can do anything. You happen to read the Paris edition of the Herald Tribune? Uh, no, monsieur. I prefer to follow the news in my own language, but we have copies of the paper you mentioned for sale. Uh, no, 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 thanks. I've seen it. Perhaps monsieur is calling for someone in the hotel, uh, one of the guests. Whom shall I announce? Uh, Harry Lyme. Perhaps I should have asked you first who it is you are coming to see. Now, that I couldn't tell you. Just tell me this. Do you like to whistle... I am a lover of music, monsieur, but I do not whistle. No. As a young lad, however, in the orchestra of my school, I was considered quite proficient on the bassoon. Uh, well, try this on your bassoon. <laughs> ah, yes, of course. I, I have something for you, Mr. Lyme, here. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. Yes, it's addressed to me, all right, but... That's all there is in the envelope, just my name. I wonder, would it be asking too much if I asked you to tell me who this is from? Monsieur, it would be asking too much. Oh, okay, okay, old man. Thanks, anyway. I wish I could give you something for your trouble, but I forgot my wallet this morning. Uh, that was anticipated, monsieur. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, everything, monsieur, has been taken care of. Everything? Uh, yes, monsieur. That is the word, I believe. Everything. <laughs> In the envelope was an airline ticket for Tangier, 50,000 francs in nice fresh notes, and the following letter. My dear Mr. Lyme, when you arrive in Tangier, go immediately to the El Mirador Hotel, where a suite is reserved for you. After you've dined, go to a cabaret called the Kabbalah. Wait there for instructions. Excuse me, monsieur. Uh, oh, yes, Porter, is anything wrong? Uh, nothing is wrong, monsieur, but it is 2.45, and your plane leaves early at 3.50. Oh, okay, old man, okay. I'm on my way. Just, uh... Call me a cab, oh, would you please? for that, monsieur. A limousine has been ordered for you. It is waiting at the door. It was a very pleasant trip with a very, uh, very, very attractive hostess on board. Are you quite comfortable, Mr. Lyman? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. Isn't there anything you like? Well, I'd like to know what you're doing tonight after we land. I mean, wouldn't you like some more coffee or maybe a pillow? I know what you mean, and you know what I meant. Tangier is a very interesting city. First there's the Arabs and the Caspar and all that, and then there's the modern European city. It's an international port, of course, with 14 different countries in control, but of course you know that. Yes, yes, I've heard tell. I guess you're making fun of me. You're a businessman. You've probably been to Tangier many times. Well, let me take that up point by point. I'm not a businessman. I've never been to Tangier, and I wouldn't dream of making fun of you. Just answer me one question. I go back on the return flight at six in the morning, Mr. Lyon, and I'm sleeping. You haven't answered the question. Besides, my name isn't Mr. Lyon. Well, that's what it says on the manifest. My name is Harry. Have you ever been to a nightclub in Tangier called the Kabbalah? Oh, yes, I have. You have what? Yes, I have had it. 
The nice nightclub? The best in town. That's good. Glad you like it. I've reserved a table for us, okay? Fasten your safety belt. We're coming in. Okay, you're a hostess on an airline. You're very good-looking, and there are lots of good-looking hostesses that dance the rumba, but they don't dance that well. And none of them look this beautiful. Oh, I, I don't know what I mean by almost, but really, you know, you're almost too good to be true. No, I'm not so good. That's good. You don't even know my name. Yes, I do. I have a sign on the door of the cockpit, a plane that says Captain T.R. Stevenson, co-pilot J. O'Brady, air hostess P. Smith. So that's your name, isn't it? P. Smith. May I call you P? P is for Patsy. Okay, we'll settle for that. Shall we sit down? That champagne ought to be cold enough by now. It's awfully close in here. Why don't we forget the champagne and take a walk outside? Oh, wonderful. I'll just pay the check. Uh, don't bother. It's been taken care of. What do you mean? The check has been paid. Now, look, look here, old girl. We, we can't have that. You're my guest, remember. Besides, I'm the male in the party, and I have my pride. I'm sorry, Harry. It's all taken care of. Come on. Good night, mademoiselle. Good night. Good night, monsieur. Good night. Good night. Uh, Patsy, I'm going to take something back. What's that, Harry? One little word. What's the word? Almost. I don't understand you. Well, I used it describing you, but it doesn't fit. The word almost could never be applied to you. Whatever you are, that's what you are completely. You couldn't be almost anything. You're wrong, Harry. Almost is just the word for me. Among other things, I'm almost very rich. You must be if you treat all your boyfriends to champagne. Mm, you're a special case. We won't argue about that, Patsy. I'm a special case, but... What's an airline hostess get paid? Enough to treat her boyfriends to champagne, even the special cases like me. No, no, Patsy, it doesn't make sense. You say you're rich. I said I'm almost rich. Well, then you must be almost stupid. What do you mean? Well, if I was almost rich, I wouldn't be working for my living at all. I wouldn't be found on an airplane unless I wanted to get someplace. I said I was almost rich, Harry, and that's what I meant. That doesn't mean I've little money or enough money. It means I have to work for my living. I took this job to pay the rent and... Also because it brings me twice a week to Tangier. What do you like about Tangier? A lot of international lawyers and private banks with streets full of American cars and grimy characters and nightshirts. Not very beautiful. As far as I can see, it's a kind of Switzerland with Arabs. No, but it is beautiful, Harry, if you know the right places. Let me show you. Taxi! You know the Villa Mughetti? The Villa Mughetti? Ah, yes, Mademoiselle. Mademoiselle means the great palace on the hill. I know it well. Good. Get in, Harry. I'm going to show you how beautiful Tangier can be. The cab twisted and turned its torturous way through the native court, and then pretty soon we were out in the country. We were climbing steadily, I noticed, and passing beautiful villas, homes of rich expatriates who come to live in this strange little international settlement of Tangier, where you don't even have to register with your consulate and Nobody pays any income taxes at all.
I think I neglected to mention that Patsy was beautiful. And if I did, believe me, I was understating the situation. She had gray eyes and that clear, powdery gold hair that makes you think of the ashes of angel wings. I know an awful lot of girls, but none of them I've ever laid eyes on would have given Patsy a worried moment. There may be better-looking airplane hostesses, but if there are, they're working for airlines on another planet. As we climbed up to the moon-bright hills of Tangier, I forgot completely the strange business which had brought me there. The advertisement in the paper, the airline ticket, and all the rest of it. I didn't care why I'd been sent for the Tangier. I didn't care who'd done it or what he wanted from me. By door kissing you, you do it very well. But we've come to our destination. Oh, so we have. Anyway, the cab stopped. When did that happen? About five minutes ago. Where are we? Well, there's the bay below us. Oh, very pretty it looks, too, with all the lights and moon on the wall. No, not, not now, Harry. Please. I'm very impatient. Now let's get out. Why, it's nice in here. It's nicer in the house. Ain't that enormous place? Mm-hmm. Anyway, some kind of private mansion must be sure we'll be welcome. Here, you take the key. The key? You mean... That's what I mean. You're my guest. Yes, but, but how? You've been my guest all along. Gentleman traveling to Tangier, a visit to the desk. But I, what, what do you, you mean? You whistled a tune, didn't you? Well, how do you know about it? I had a friend once who told me how fond you've always been of no, that music. No, I mean, how do you know about the ad in the paper? I ought to know. I paid for it. And my plane ticket. I got a reduction from the airline. Come in, Harry. Here's a flashlight. I've got something to show you. Orson Welles returns in just a moment as the third man. Continues with today's story, Ticket to Tangier. I followed Patsy into the house. It was a huge place, full of heavy chandeliers and pompous furniture, most of which were pretty spooky looking because they were covered with dust cloths. Obviously, the place hadn't been lived in for many months, but who was it who had lived here? Who was it that? built this unlikely palace on a hill overlooking the harbor of Tangier. Above all, why had I been brought here? Just who was P. Smith, air hostess, and what did she expect me to do about it? We made a tour of several chambers before I even started to get any answers. This way, Harry. Oh. Where are we now? This used to be a ballroom. Close the curtains, then we'll turn on the lights. Okay. You sure they're tight shut all round? 
We don't want the police to come and start asking questions. You can say that again, honey. What have the cops got to do with you? Nothing yet. I'll turn on the switch. See that? Huh? I see a piano and about 30 gilt chairs, a big rolled-up carpet, all very splendid and grand. But which particular item am I supposed to admire? The carpet. I'm not a connoisseur, Patsy, so if you brought me here to get an appraisal, I'm afraid we're both wasting our time. Thing about carpets. Do you know about heroin? Uh, yes. Heroin is a drug. It is nasty and habit-forming, and its sale is controlled by international law. Go on. Tell me more. I don't know any more about heroin. Not anything to speak of. I don't use drugs, Miss Smith. But you sell them. I just told you that the sale of heroin is controlled by law. Are you suggesting... I'm suggesting that there isn't much you don't know about breaking the law. Any law. <laughs> You've got a point there. I won't try to deny that my knowledge of the subject isn't fairly extensive. Why do you think I sent for you? Why do you think I brought you here? You're Harry Lyme, aren't you? Now, stop kidding for a minute and let's get down to well, business. First of all, I think you'd better answer a few questions, Miss P. Smith, air hostess. That isn't necessary. Maybe not, sweetheart, but I'm a curious type. I like the facts before I take on a job, all of them. First of all, what's your racket? I haven't any racket. I'm an airline hostess. Yes, but why? Because it's a good job. Yes, and because the run takes you to Tangier, am I right? That's partly right, yes, but listen... Well, what's I your real name? What's it to you? We'll play it my way, sweetheart, and we aren't playing it at all. Must need me awful bad to take all this trouble to look me up and move me. If you need me, you're going to cooperate. I'll start off with your real name and go on from there. Did you ever hear of a man named Mugetti? Mugetti? Rico Mugetti? Mm-hmm. Yes, I thought the name of this place was familiar. I met Rico once in Marseille. Other time in Casablanca. He comes from Corsica, isn't that right? He came from Corsica. You mean he's dead? Yes. I was his wife. Oh, I'm sorry. There's no need to be sorry for me. I killed Rico myself. Then I'm sorry for Rico. He wasn't a nice man, Harry. No, I guess he wasn't. I remember now I once saw him blind a man with a broken wine glass. You're right, Rico wasn't a very nice man, but he was uh, careless. How do you mean, careless? With his wives, anyway. A man has to watch himself when he starts playing with wives. Sometimes they're loaded. Why don't you stop kidding? Just for a minute. What am I supposed to do? After all, there are only so many alternatives. I can make a joke about what you just told me or congratulate you or hand you to the cops. And now I think it's better if we treat it as a joke. So this is the notorious Harry Lyme, the man no country can hold and who stops at nothing. You know what? I think you're actually shocked. Maybe I'm not Harry Lyme at all. After all, an awful lot of people can whistle that song. You'd better be. I'd better be what, love boat? The original Harry Lyme? Not a facsimile? He doesn't like murder, Mrs. Mugetti. You say he stops at nothing. Well, believe you me, he stops at that. A, it's messy. B, it's silly. And C, there's no profit in it. Besides, Harry Lyme's mother always told him not to go around killing people. She said it wasn't nice. You don't know the facts in the case, Harry. I was justified. I'll have to take my word for I it. guess I will at that. And now, Mrs. Mugetti, if you don't mind, why have you brought me all the way to Africa to this empty house? You say there's a lot of heroin in that rug. Do I take your word for that? You don't have to. You can look for yourself. I told you before, honey, I don't know anything about dope. You know people who do, don't you? People in Paris, in London, in New York. Not intimately. But you know how the drug traffic works. I don't. For something new for Rico, some kind of big haul. He must have had a partner because he wouldn't have known how to dispose of it. It wasn't his line at all. It isn't mine either, honey. I keep telling you that. How do you know it's so valuable? He told me. I've been keeping it here in the house for months now. This airline job I have is perfect for smuggling the stuff, but I don't know who to take it to. I don't know what towns pay the best price. I don't know the names of the agents. Rico kept me away from that kind of thing. All I can remember was hearing him talk about you. 
You've got to help me, Harry. What about the police? They don't know it's here. I don't think they even know about the house, or at least there isn't anything against him in Tangier. I mean about you. What you killed him, didn't you? How do the cops feel about that? Well, they don't suspect me. There's no reason why they should. I had a good alibi. I wasn't even told. Just tell me how you did that sometime. So you can blackmail me? No, thanks, Harry. Let's keep our relationship on a nice, clean business level. Now, that's the way I like to hear you talk. Who are you? We talk about that later, Madame Mugetti. Now, I think it would be easier all around if you and Mr. Lyme put your hands in the air. Or too high. Just shoulder level, huh? Right. This is a very efficient gun I'm holding. And I have a good mouth. How did you get in? I hate to tell you, Madame Mugetti, the explanation is so banal. Through the door. You left it open. Now then, where's the heroine? Uh, just a minute. Yes, Mr. Lyme? You seem to know my name, monsieur, but I'm afraid you have the advantage. It doesn't matter. I was, uh, shall we say, a business associate of this widow's lady's husband. Okay, don't tell me. Let me guess. You began in Indochina. You served three years in a penal colony in Brazil. They used to call you the doctor, am I right? I have a doctor's degree. Dr. Bessie, that's your name. Uh, what a detective you would make, Mr. I have a good memory, Dr. Bessie, and I'm a professional collector of information. You will find the heroine in the piano. In, in the piano? Yeah. This is probably a trick, Mr. Lyme. Suppose you go to the piano and extract the heroin yourself. Uh, don't be silly, old man. It would be very simple for me to extract a revolver from the piano. I think it would be unpleasant for both of us if there was any shooting. There must be police in the neighborhood. I'd much prefer you to find your dope and leave quietly. I'm a peace-loving man. Very well. I'll look for myself. I'm keeping my eye on you, Lyme. Now, then. Wait a minute. There is nothing here. What have you... Put up your hands, Bessie. I'm warning you. I'll shoot if you don't. What you did? Well, well, very quick, I must say. Congratulations. Strange. He said he was a good shot. Must have been boasting. He should have kept his eyes on both of us, and nobody could do that. Is he dead? I wouldn't know, Mrs. Mugetti. I haven't asked him. He looks that way. Have you any plans? Yes, we'd better get out of here. Now, isn't that funny? That's just what I was going to suggest. Take the heroin. You mm -hmm. can carry it just as it is in the rug. No, thanks. I have a bad back, and I hate to stoop over. Why don't we just leave it where it is? Let the cops find it and give up $100,000 worth of dough, you crazy? Not crazy enough to argue with you as long as you're holding that gun, Patsy, but... What's that? Well, what do you think? Maybe it's the police. Either that or it's New Year's Eve. Douse the lights on. Right. Okay, and now? That's much better. Why, you? you... We've got darkness and I've got the you gun. give it back to me. You're too impulsive for firearms, Mrs. Mugetti. I'm keeping the gun. The cops, Sure, the here. cops. Your husband built a nice big house, but it's getting a bit overcrowded. If you don't mind the suggestion, I think we'd better scram just two feet ahead of me, Mrs. Mugetti. And don't try anything funny. You Keep dirty. your seatbelt fastened. We're coming in. We made our way out through the garden. The cops were all over the place, and after a while it was clear that our only hope was in separating. Patsy! Patsy, you go through the shrubbery. Keep straight on down the field till you get to town. You can, Mister. Just keep going down the road. What about you? I'll make out all right. Yes, but what about the heroine? Heroine? There isn't any heroine in this story, Mrs. Mugetti. Just a hero. That's a joke, honey. You can laugh at it later when you catch your plane to that car. <laughs>
Crime returns in just a moment. about that murder. It's what you might call the wages of life. That's another joke, but you don't have to laugh at it. I'll do the laughing. You see, what Patsy didn't know was that I had picked up the rug in the darkness and hid it under a bush just outside the window. I came back later and corrected it. Of course, the word was out about Rico's big consignment and didn't have any trouble getting a good price in Marseille the next week. But honestly, I don't approve of drugs. That's why I threw the original stuff into the Bay of Tangier and delivered to the gangsters seven nicely wrapped packages of confectioner's sugar. They tell me you can get the habit for sugar, too, but my conscience is clear, all except for one thing, that that little prayer rug it was wrapped in. I know it didn't belong to me, but it looks very nice here in front of the tea table, don't you think so? Uh, will you have milk or lemon with your tea? And how much sugar? This is the very best brand, you know. A syndicate of desperate gangsters paid me $50,000 for only seven packages of the same quality.
everyone. <laughs> this is OTR Rob. Uh, making an omission here that I was going to present to you a saint program from July 2nd, 1950. The episode was uh, In Search of a Killer, but I had already presented that episode to you earlier. Um, I started to make a list now of all the shows that I do so that I don't make that mistake. <laughs> Serves me right for not looking at my list. Look, I'm a very honest person. If I make a mistake, I'm going to let you know that I made a mistake. I mean, I'm, it's silly. I know I didn't have to kind of let you know that I did that, but I'm just very honest. I can't help it. So, anyway... So this saint I'm presenting to you <laughs> is from July 14th, 1950. The episode is entitled, Simon Takes a Curtain Call. Sounds like the saint, or at least Vincent Price, is going out of this role. I don't know for sure. I know that soon there will be an Englishman taking over the role of Simon Templer, which is kind of appropriate considering that the character is English. And Vincent Price isn't. <laughs> and nor does he affect an English accent when he does the saint. But it just, like, maybe it's because that Vincent Price did an Americanization of the saint that he was so much beloved for doing this show. But either way, uh, I'll, I'll know pretty soon whether or not we run out of Vincent Price episodes. But I will still continue to bring the saint to you no matter in what form, as long as I can find episodes for it. Um, I think there's not that many episodes left really after Vincent Price. I think because, um, collectors went, no, if it ain't Vincent Price, I'm not gonna record it. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But anyway, enjoy this saint, and I'll see you all back here next time. I keep saying that, and I keep showing up <laughs> and explaining myself to you. i got to stop doing that. Adventures of the Saints, starring Vincent Price. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as... The saint. They say each man kills the thing he loves. And so I have killed you, my love. But the cruel, merciful knife which parts our flesh shall bring us yet together in a together which is forever. I am ready, officer. Pardon me. 
me, but uh, where may I wait for Mr. Bennett? Well, he's still on stage taking bars. Yes, I know. I was in the audience. My name is Templer. Oh, yes, Mr. Templer. He's expecting you. You can wait in his dressing room. It's right down the hall there, first on the right. The one with all the flowers on it. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, darling. Did you really, did you? I enjoyed Thank you. See you shortly. Mercer. Come in, my dear. Ah, you are sweet, dear, but... Uh... Oh, hello, Mercer. Congratulations. Simon Templer, how perfectly wonderful of you to come. As I was saying, my dear Shari, you were sweet and utterly charming throughout, but never, never cross in front of me. Never. Yes, Mercer, I'll remember. And you were magnificent. Thank you, thank you. Oh, oh, Shari, this is my old friend, uh, Simon Templer. Templer, Shari Babcock, my leading lady. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, go change, my dear. I'll, I'll meet you shortly. Of course, Mercer. Goodbye, Mr. Templer. Goodbye, Miss Babcock. Well, your taste is still excellent, Mercer. I picked my leaves on that acting ability alone, Templar. <clears throat> now, uh, why I sent for you. Uh, by the way, uh, what did you think of the play? Well, uh, it was... Yes, uh... I know, I know. It, uh, I uh, took only five curtain calls, an ominous sign. Uh, for me, practically a curtsy. <laughs> oh, writers. Why, Templar, why don't they have writers like Shakespeare around these days? It's a plot against actors. I believe you. Uh, well, perhaps the Bennett name will carry this thing along for a season, but it will be a strain. Mercer, why did you send for me? Oh. Uh, sit down, Templar, while I remove my makeup. I am sitting down. Uh, well, then stand up. Oh. Uh, no, 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 don't. I hate to talk up to someone. I don't uh, work well that way at all. Templar, I'm afraid of this play. It scares me, too. No, oh, no, 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 not that way. Uh, Templar, I've begun to notice a peculiar relationship between Mercer Bennett and his roles. Now, uh, you'll think this a bit eccentric of me, perhaps, but it's true. Templar. I'm living my roles. No. Wait, let me tell you. I don't know what it is. Perhaps I put too much of myself into a part, but the roles I portray on the stage, I also portray in real life. For example? For example. In Time Waits for Tomorrow, I played an actor who marries his leading lady. I married my leading lady. Astonishing. Wait. In Crossroads of the World, I played a singer who marries the ingenue. I married the ingenue. Laugh that off. I don't have to. I didn't marry her. You did. Yes. Uh, but I could go on, Templar. This thing has been plaguing me for years. I have a feeling of fatalism about any role I undertake that it can't help being realized offstage. Why get excited about it now? Because, Templar, because in this play, I not only fall in love with my leading lady, but I kill her. Well, has the uh, first part come true? Well, one might say so, yes. She's utterly infatuated with me, of course, and she's a charming thing. I but... see. And you're afraid you're going to kill her? Deathly afraid. Well, it's been nice seeing you again, Mercer, but uh, Wait, I... wait, don't go. I'm not just imagining things. The way the part was originally written, I shot Shari. But in our tryout in Boston, the prop man discovered that someone had put real bullets in the gun. Are you sure? Of course I am. That's why I had it rewritten to a knife. Uh, we use a rubber blade, of course. Of course. And you have no idea who put those bullets in the gun? None. It could have been anyone. Even you? That's what haunts me about this whole business, Templar. Could I have done it and not know it? Could I do it again? 
Oh, you've got to help me, Simon. Well, all right, I'll do what I can. But it might not be much. Oh, I'd appreciate it, Simon. I'd appreciate it immensely. And when we of the theater... Oh, please, no tears. Where should I start? Uh, my agent and business manager will uh, tell you whom to see and uh, take you around. Oh. Uh, Stuart Jackson. Low fellow. Well, I'll see him in the morning. I'm deeply grateful, Simon. Why, I hardly dare look at the girl. I avoid her. I... Daddy? Coming, Shari, darling. Coming. Uh, well, you see, I... Uh... Yes, I know. The show must go on. <laughs> uh, see you tomorrow, Mercer. <laughs> Mighty nice of you to take this on for us, Mr. Templer. I know it's been working on Mercer. What do you think of this, Jackson? This idea that Bennett has about his roles coming true. Well, I've represented a lot of actors, Mr. Templer, and they're screwy, every one of them. And I'm not sure Mercer Bennett's not the screwiest of the lot, but he's a great actor. You think this whole thing is about nothing? Huh? I didn't say that. Maybe all in the head, but what's in the head gives plenty of trouble. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. And after the notices on the play this morning, he'll be screwier than ever. Not good? From Stinkville. And he needed the dough, too. Oh, I thought Bennett had plenty. Paying alimony to four wives? <laughs> Nobody's got that much dough. Well, the first one Bennett wants you to talk to is Lola Enright. She was his first wife. We're not going to talk to all four. Lola is the only one in town. Kind of an old lush, but a good kid. She used to be quite an actress. Well, let's go collect her autograph. Morning, Lola. Can we uh, come in? Hi, Mr. Jackson. Do come in. Uh, I hope you'll excuse my deshabille. Just reading over a frightful stack of plays they're begging me to do. Presley Waring, finding a vehicle. Uh, uh, skip it, Lola. This isn't the producer. This is Simon Templer, the saint. Oh, why don't you say so? How do you do, Mr. Templer? Sit down. Thank you, Miss Enright. I've enjoyed your performances many times. Huh? Must be older than you look. What's up, boys? Uh, Mr. Templer, I'd like to ask you a few questions, Lola, about uh, Mercer. Well, if you're going to talk about him, I've got to be fortified. Excuse me. Mr. Templer, have you ever met my friend? Huh? Oh, oh, yes, yes, I have. Oh, good. Then I don't have to introduce you. How about joining us? Well, I'm very fond of your friend, but not this early in the morning. About Mercer Bennett, Miss Enright. What about him? Well, very briefly, he has a fixation about roles he plays on the stage in acting themselves in real life. And in his latest play, he kills his leading lady. <laughs> Tell him not to worry. That turkey won't run long enough for him to step on an ant. Something has occurred, however, to indicate that this isn't all imagination. You know anyone bearing any ill will against uh, Bennett, Miss Enright? Sure I do. Anybody that knows him. Oh? Well, how about you, if I may be blunt? You mean, would I kill his leading lady and frame him with the murder? Um, let me think it over, Simon. Sure you don't want to say hello to my pal here? No, no thanks. <laughs> well, I do. Mercer Bennett. <coughs> the problem being, would I like to see him accused of murdering his latest love? Well, I might. I very well might. Anything else I can do for you, Simon? Play Camille, butch candy between acts, tour with the South Pacific Company of South Pacific? If anything comes up, Lola, I'll let you know. Oh, you're a nice boy, Simon. I'll give you a tip. Never be seen in public with agents. So long, Jackson. 
Here's to crime, Simon. Happy days, Lola. Yeah? Happy days. Well, what's the next port of call, Jackson? Arnold Prince, Mr. Templer. Broker, he says. Also has a wad of dough on the show. Oh, yes, you told me. Yeah. Uh, here's his office here. Hmm. No secretary. Guess we go right on in, huh? I guess so. Morning, Mr. Prince. You busy? Hello, Jackson. Have you seen the notices? Did you see those horrible, uh, uh, terrible... Uh, Mr. Prince, uh, this is Mr. Templer. Simon Templer. He wants to ask a couple of questions. Why? Because I think a crime may be committed, Mr. Prince, and I'm trying to prevent it. You're too late. The crime happened last night when three sixes or seventeen opened. Yes, I can understand your point of view. Uh, tell me, Mr. Prince, what was your reason for putting money into the show? The play itself? I'll tell you. The reason was Shari Babcock. I was made a fool of. Shari was your girl. If I hadn't thought so, I wouldn't have put a cent into this egg. I couldn't afford the money. Do you hold any animosity toward Shari or Bennett? Toward both of them. How much animosity? Just this, Mr. Templer. I have a reputation for being a man it isn't safe to make a fool of. Do I make myself clear? I think so. Good. Good day, gentlemen. Oh, just one more question. Are you what they call an angel, Mr. Prince? An angel? You needn't answer that. Good day. This is Shari Babcock's apartment, Mr. Templer. I hope you don't mind if I let you go in alone. I shudder at the thought. Uh, yeah. Well, being Mercer's business manager and agent both, I got a lot of details to look after. He wanted you to talk to Charlie Glenway. He's the author of this bomb. But if you talk to Shari long enough, Charlie will be along. Get what I mean? I get what you mean. Uh, see you later, Mr. Templer. Good morning, Miss Babcock. I don't know if you remember me, but I... How I'm... could I forget? Won't you come in, Mr. Templer? Simon? Oh, thank you. Sorry. Have you seen the notices? Yes. Well, it was to be expected, of course. Charlie's a nice boy, but just not a writer. Just not a writer. Sorry. Are you aware of the fact that as long as this play runs, you may be in considerable danger? Terribly exciting, isn't it? Huh? You're not frightened? But that's theater, Simon, dear. Actors living their roles, the excitement of opening night, the smell of grease Shari, paint. Sorry, sorry. Let's not do the grease paint in the veins bit, huh? <laughs> of course. You know about what happened in Boston? The real bullets instead of the blanks? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be fascinating if darling old Mercer had actually done it himself... I mean conscious love, but subconscious hate. Fascinating, like... like Ibsen. Look, Hedda Gabler, did it ever occur to you that... Shari, you seen the reviews? Oh. Not Charles, darling, not. Simon Templer, this is Charles Glenway, our uh, author. The rats desert the sinking ship. You thought the play was pretty hot stuff this time yesterday, Shari. Oh, uh, how are you, Templer? Thank you. Don't be rude, Charlie. And if one simply isn't a playwright, one should face it. Quote, Mercer Bennett, unquote. It was a play before he got hold of it, him and his rewrites. Of course it ended up garbage. It was bound to. Oh, speaking of rewrites, Charles, darling, I've got some ideas about the second act. My lines simply have to be fixed, you know. Your lines have to be fixed? Well, you certainly fixed them last night, all right. Why don't you get that dramatic school mush out of your mouth and, and talk? You think it improves things if nobody can hear you? In this case, yes. Am I intruding on anything? All right, all right. We, we won't fight, Shari. 
I don't want to. Fine, darling. And you will rewrite my lines in the second act. No. Yes. I'll keep score for you. Who is this guy, anyway? Another Arnold Prince? I was never anything to Arnold Prince but nice to him, so he'd put up the money for your show. How nice were you? Oh, Glenway, I hate you. Sorry, darling. Mercy, sweet. Oh, oh Glenway. And Templar. <laughs> Sorry, old man. Shall I leave? Not at all, not at all. I mean, uh, don't rush off. About the notices, Shari, darling. Disregard them. Of course, the play is bad. The thing to remember is that I've carried worse plays than this. You were younger then. Jealousy rearing its juvenile head. But it's a good thing you're here, Glenway. There's a lot of rewriting and fixing to be done. And you might possibly be of some help to me. I have an earth-shaking suggestion. Why not just do the play as it was written in the first place? You're questioning my knowledge of the theater? I think you're over the hill, Jack. Pay no attention to this, this scribbler, Mercer. Artiste. I find your conduct unprofessional, Glenway. We of the theater. And I find your conduct unbecoming to your fellow members in the Townsend Club, Bennett. Hands. Hmm? What did you say, Templar? I have been up since dawn trying to prevent a murder about which I now feel almost indifferent. I have foregone my breakfast, but I find myself unable and unwilling to do so another second. If anyone wants me, I should be in the restaurant on the corner, saving a life near and dear to me, my own farewell thespians. <laughs> Oh, sit down, Mr. Jackson, sit down. But I warn you, if you interfere with my eggs benedict with Tabasco sauce, you're a dead man. Uh, Mercer phoned me that you were here, Mr. Templer. He wants you to come to the play tonight. I have seen the play. And every horrible detail is etched with acid on the dark mirror of my mind. You know, you talk just like Mercer. It must be contagious. Oh, we just got word, Mr. Templer. The play is closing tonight. A two-day run. Just ahead of the lynch mob. Do you carry insurance on your client, Mr. Jackson? Sure. And put him in another disaster like this and he'll need it. Oh, but what I wanted to tell you, Mr. Templer, was this. Mercer's worried about the prophecy, or whatever you want to call it. He's afraid that something will happen to Shari. And tonight's the last night for it to happen. You'll be there, Mr. Templer? Mm, against my complete better judgment, my appreciation of the aesthetic, and in utter disregard of my sanity, I shall be there. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Templer. Oh, hi, Charlie. Where have you been, huh? Out front. Uh, everything all right back here, Mr. Templer? Mm, it's all quiet so far. This is the final scene. Yeah, the death scene. Yeah. He uh, plays the violin to her before he stabs her. You think the audience is buying it, Mr. Templer? Well, they haven't stormed the stages yet. Well, it's not a bad play, or it wasn't at first. It's Bennett and the rewrites. Now it's all hash. How do you like Shari? As an actress? Promising. A bit theatrical, but she should have a good career ahead of her. If nothing happens. Nothing will happen. Hey, hey there's Prince backstage. I don't like that. I'll keep an eye on him. And there's Lola, too. She's... Uh... I know. She's Bennett's first wife. She's bitter because he hasn't paid her alimony for years. Look, look. They're going into the death scene. Yeah, I'm watching, Charlie. Don't let anything happen to her, Mr. Templer. Charlie... Hey, what's that on the prop table, huh? A knife. Well, it's not a real one. It's like the one Bennett stabbed Shari with, a rubber blade. But if that knife is here, what has Bennett got? What? Well, I don't know. Templar, I... Shari! Shari, look out! Hey, quick! The curtain! Pull down the curtain, quick! The 
Shotty. Shotty. Shotty, are you hurt? What happened, Bennett? I... I don't know. I, I started to stab her like I always do, and, and blood came. I had the wrong knife. Let me template. Sorry. Sorry, baby. How bad is it? Get a doctor, somebody. No, no, no doctors to spoil our last moment, Charles. Just you and me. Oh, it will always be you and me, Shari. Always. No, no. The realization came too late. The bloom with us in the bud. It's fragrant, secret. Forever. Shari. Next week, East Lynn. Simon. Yes, Bennett? How bad is it, Simon? Is it fatal? Tell me, Simon. I can take it. Well, the doctor said he had great difficulty finding the scratch. Scratch? Yes, it was a very minor flesh wound. Shari just couldn't resist playing a deathbed scene. You've got her well trained. Templar, do you realize what this will do for three sixes or seventeen? No, what? Publicity! Reams of publicity. The show will run for months. Where is she? Oh, she's in her dressing room. Come on. Shari! Mercy, you've come to say farewell to Get me. up, you lovesick ingenue. Put a bandage on that scratch. You've got a show to do tomorrow. But, Mercer, I'm dying. You couldn't be killed with a meat hat. Wait a minute, Bennett, that's no way. And I want to see you about some rewrites, Glenway, as soon as I talk to the press. We're not closing. Mercy, you are closing. What? Whether you like it or not, someone tried to kill Shari tonight, and if the police had to pick a suspect, they would undoubtedly pick you. Yes, yes, perhaps they would. Perhaps they might even be right. Say nothing about this stabbing to anyone. Run one more night, tomorrow night, and let everyone know the closing is definite after that, huh? Why? Why one more night? We've got one more night in which to catch a potential killer. See that everyone backstage tonight is here tomorrow. Lola, Prince, Jackson, Glenway. And? And you, certainly, Mercer. Definitely you. They say each man kills the thing he loves. And so I have killed you, my love. But the cruel, merciful knife which parts our flesh shall bring us yet together in a together which is forever. I am ready, officer. Nothing happened. The play's over, Mr. Templer. Nothing happened. Charlie's safe. Not quite yet, Charles. Well, what do you mean? Mr. Bennett, Mr. Bradcock, this is the protocol. No calls tonight. No calls tonight, Sam. None. As you say, Mr. Bennett, don't bring it up, Joe. Oh, Charles, I'm saying. Oh, yes, darling. Well, Simon, the role is over. The play is finished. And the leading man did not kill his leading woman. No, he didn't, Mercer. Come on, Charlie, let's get out of here. No, Charles. Why not, Simon? The play is over. Not quite yet, Mercer. You forget that in your own play, Charlie, the murder occurred at six minutes past eleven. It's now just 10.45. You're suggesting we stay here until 6 after 11? I'm suggesting it very strongly. Charles, would you ask Lola, Arnold Prince, and Stuart Jackson to join us? They're all backstage. Okay, Mr. Templer. What are you expecting, Simon? Shari, I'm expecting another attempt on your life. There have been two already. I intend to see that this is the final one. What if it's a success? If my theory is correct, it won't be. The saint is never wrong, Shari. Are you? Well, 
ever, hardly ever. <laughs> Let's join the others, shall we? I'm giving a theater party. How much longer are we going to have to sit here, Templar? Oh, just a few minutes, Mr. Prince. It's after 11 now. I'm getting very dry, Simon, old boy. Patience, Lola, patience. It's creepy in here with everyone gone. I don't like being the bait in a trap. Well, you have a whole squad of protectors, Charlie. Except that one of them could be a murderer. Have you got any theories on the case, Mr. Templar? Oh, a few, Jackson. Huh. Three minutes after 11. Well, I guess we've got time to hear some of them. It will pass the time. In this case, the question seems to be motive. Who would profit by killing Shari? Or who would profit by framing Bennett here with the killing of Shari? Always presuming that the assailant is not Bennett himself. Thank you. Mr. Arnold Prince, a motive, certainly. I agree with you. A rejected suitor who feels himself used badly. She's a little... Why, you... Gentlemen, gentlemen, no violence until six after eleven... Mr. Prince lost money he could ill afford to lose. He thought he lost Miss Babcock to Mr. Bennett, and so had reason to hate them both. Stick around, Mr. Prince. Don't worry. I wouldn't miss Shari's murder for twice as much dough as I poured in this rattle. Oh, Miss Lola Enright. A motive, perhaps? Love. Desperate, hopeless love for this road company, Barrymore, and hatred for the younger rival. Right, Simon? Couldn't have done it better myself. I'll stick around, Simon. <laughs> Mr. Mercer Bennett. A strange fixation that he is destined to carry out whatever roles he plays on the stage. A mania, perhaps. I've tried to get him to an analyst, Mr. Templer, many times. Ask him. Shut up, Jackson. Tempers are getting edgy as we approach the hour. Mr. Charles Glenway, one of the best of motives. What? Oh, I might warn you, I don't know if the electrician knows we're still here, so we might find ourselves in the darkness. Simon. And then it might not happen at all. Let's see, where were we? Oh, oh yes, yes. Uh, Charles Glenn. Oh, Charlie couldn't do it, Simon. He... Ah! Simon, help! All right. All right, drop it, you. Drop it, or I'm going to break your wrist. Drop it. There. All right, Sam, you can put the lights back on. Sam! Right away, Mr. Templer. Ah, there. What happened? Who was it? Jackson. Yes, Jackson. Pick up his knife, Charlie. Yeah, sure. Anything to say, Mr. Jackson? Plenty. But not here. Smart fellow. But why Jackson Templer? He was my agent. He was making a good living out of me. Not good enough. He was also your business manager. He told you you were paying alimony to all four of your ex-wives... Lola hasn't gotten anything in years, right? Right. Yeah, this suggested a juggling of your books. And then I'm always suspicious of business managers anyway. Uh, he also told me he had your life insured. If you were to die for the murder of Charlie Babcock, Jackson would be a rich man and no questions asked about his books either. But why, Jackson? You are still collecting commissions from me? Shall I tell him, Jackson? Or will you? I'll tell him. You're just about through, you big ham. You can't play leading men anymore. You're too old. Ah, sharper than the serpent's tooth. Mm, the French say, cherchez la femme. The Anglo-Saxons say, cherchez la financial angle. Anything I've left out, Jackson? Yes. I hate actors. I've always hated them. And Bennett I hated worst of all. Sneering at us all the time. Running us down behind our backs. I hate them! Mm, I've always suspected this about agents. <laughs> I must be more careful. Now, come along, Jackson. I can get you a long contract with no options. 
Templer. Yes, Massey. After you turned Jackson in, uh, you didn't give the full story to the papers, did you? The uh, the full story? Not yet. Why? Don't. Don't as a favor to me. Oh, but this will be wonderful publicity for your show. It will run forever. I'd rather you didn't. But why, Mercy? Well, uh, uh, Jackson's uh, statement about me being too old for leads... Uh, uh, of course, it's totally untrue, but if word of a charge like that gets around show business, well, you know... Yes, it. I see, I see. Uh, my lips are sealed. Thanks, Templar, thanks. <laughs> ah, me, maybe the trouble is I'm not wearing a tight enough girdle, or maybe chin straps for I sleep at night. Actors. You know, Jackson may have been right. <laughs> have been listening to another transcribed adventure of the saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. Now here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, it's difficult to comprehend the fact that you can hold life itself in the palm of your hand. The shape it takes isn't particularly dramatic. It's as simple as this. A few coins, a few dollars, your contribution to the Red Cross. The life you hold is that of some unknown person who will be restored to health through the Red Cross National Blood Program. That program is already in its second year. It still hasn't been fully developed. It still isn't bringing the amazing medicine of whole blood to all those who need it. That won't come without more doctors, nurses, technicians, and equipment. That won't come without your help. The only thing that makes it possible for the Red Cross to carry on its mission of mercy. More than 1,500 hospitals have been supplied free of charge with blood and blood derivatives. More than half a million pints have already been provided for medical use. And yet this is only part of the Red Cross program. The Red Cross follows in the wake of disasters of all kind, treating the injured, feeding the hungry, and sheltering the homeless. From the Red Cross emanates a network of services to the armed forces, to veterans, to the community as a whole. The complete cost of all these operations for the next year will be $67 million. But the cost to you is whatever you can give to help the helpless. Remember, all of us can help through the Red Cross. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at this same time for another exciting adventure of the saint. Good night. This adventure of the saint was written by Dick Powell. Our cast included Theodore Von Elts as Bennett and Mary Ship as Shoddy. Ed Begley was Jackson, Maggie Morley, Lola... Prince was played by Stanley Farrar and Charlie by Bob Clark. Harry Brown was the doorman. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, is a James L. Safier production and is directed by Helen Mack. Vincent Price is soon to be seen co-starring in RKO's production of His Kind of Woman. 
All you Saint fans will be glad to know that Mr. Price is guest editor of the January issue of Inside Detective, world's largest selling detective magazine. Your announcer, Don Stanley. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. The chimes are ringing for tonight's broadcast of the big show, radio's greatest spectacle. Your stars for this evening's big show, in addition to the unpredictable Tallulah, will be Louis Calhern, Jimmy Durante, Jack Carter, Martha Ray, and many, many more. For Drama Tonight, Theater Guild on the Air presents a one-hour adaptation of the fascinating story Trilby, starring Rex Harrison and Teresa Wright. So remember, the big show and Theater Guild on NBC. With the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Box 13. Box 13. Box 13. Box What do you say? Where's that society page, please? Hiya, Holiday. Hiya. Jerk the first paragraph in that Simmons story. Hiya, Dan. How are you? Hiya, Susie. Hiya, Mr. Holiday. What's in box 13? You are listening to Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holiday. Starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Well, here I am again, standing at the wanted counter of the Star Times, looking for what? An idea for a story. I could have stayed here as a reporter. I could have been searching for facts. Instead, I'm fumbling for fiction. Instead of a blonde, I'm meeting a deadline. Instead of Chanel number five, I'm heading for a sniff of printer's ink. Holiday, you're a dope. Mr. Holiday. I. What's that, Susie? I said there's a letter in box 13 for you. It's special. Special? Special delivery. It was mailed only a couple of hours ago. Something like that could be important. Mm, could be. Could be adventure. Could be. Could be a. a girl. Could be. By the way, Susie, how come you're working so late this evening? Oh, my boss asked me to. He's paying me overtime. Time and three quarters. Time and three quarters? Mm-hmm. I held out for double time when he offered me time and a half. Well, what happened? Oh, we effected a compromise. <laughs> Goodbye, Susie. Special delivery, huh? Well, this could be very important. Also, it couldn't. Come on, open it up, Holiday. You haven't got all night. I'm in terrible trouble. Please come to room 718 at the Bradford Hotel. Hurry. Signed, Agatha Marsh. Mm, that sounds urgent. Who are you, young man? What do you want? 
I'm the man from Box 13. I'm looking for Agatha Marsh. I'm Agatha Marsh. Come in, come in. You're Agatha Marsh? Well, don't stand there with your mouth open. Never can tell who might be snooping around the hall. I'll find a chair and sit down. Now, what's your name? Uh, oh, Dan Holliday. Well, Mr. Holliday, I don't believe in drinking or I'd offer you one, but I have got some sauerkraut juice in my thermos bottle. Oh, uh, no, thanks. Just the same. I like you, Mr. Holliday. I liked your ad in the paper. Adventure wanted. We'll go any place, do anything. It was just what I needed. Well, thanks again. Now then, what's your charge? Charge? For helping me, your fee. Oh, that. No charge, Miss Marsh. Are you trying to be chivalrous? No, you see, I'm a writer. I'm looking for ideas. If I get a good idea, I consider I've been well paid. Well, that seems a little silly. Might I ask just what your trouble is? Oh, you don't think a girl my age could get into trouble, do you? Well, you look like a very charming old... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, lady, oh, lady, let's not beat around the bush. Now, no doubt you want to know a few things about me. Well, that would be very interesting. Yes, well, I live in Muncie, Indiana, alone. I've got a big house and an independent income. Every year I go someplace for a vacation, and this year I came here. Uh, is that all? Isn't that enough? But the letter you wrote me, you said you were in terrible trouble. Well, I am. If anyone ever finds out about this, I don't know what'll happen. Finds out about what? Come over here to the closet. I want to show you something. Look. On the floor. Well, that's a dead man lying there. Well, this would make a good opening chapter for a story. Young man goes to help charming old lady who is in terrible trouble. Terrible trouble turns out to be a corpse. Corpse? Hey, wake up, Holiday. This is the real thing. Now. Now do you believe me, young man? When did you find him? Just before I wrote you that letter. Before you wrote the letter? Well, that's hours ago. I know, but what could I do? What could you do? Miss Marsh, you could call the police. And get my name in the papers. Have all the folks back in Muncie know there was a dead man in my room? Oh, no. Miss Marsh, listen to me, please. There's a dead man in that closet. There's a law about dead men. We have to notify the police immediately. You can go to jail for hiding a body. Oh, fiddlesticks. But, Miss Marsh, look at this man. He's been shot at close range. There are powder burns on his coat. I know. I examined him before I wrote you. You see, I read all the current detective stories. Detective stories? This isn't a story. This is the real thing. I know. Why don't you try to prove that I did it? With what? A cap pistol? Now, you're a nice person, Miss Marsh, but this is going to be tough. Well, don't get so excited. A girl my age could kill a man if she wanted to. Um, rub him out, as they say in the murder mysteries. Please, Miss Marsh, be sensible. You've got a murdered man in your closet. Now pick up that phone and call the police right away. Mr. Holliday, in all seriousness, I can't do it. Think of what my lifelong friends would say. Yes, yes, I know it doesn't look I good. I can see the headlines now. Prominent Muncie pioneer woman found with dead body in hotel. Oh, please, Mr. Holliday, help me. Well, I don't know. This is a little out of my department. Just this once, Mr. Holliday. I've never asked for help before. I, I'm an old woman. Well, all right. What do you want me to do? I want you to help me get rid of the body. Get rid of the body? Now, look, Miss Marsh, you're not serious. You didn't mean that. Oh, you don't know me. I fully intend to get rid of that body. Okay, go right ahead. It's your corpse. And you're going to help me. No, no, I'm sorry. Try a bellhop. And have him snitch to the desk clerk. Besides, you advertised for adventure. 
But this isn't adventure. It's a nightmare. Come on, Miss Marsh. Let me notify the police. Now, there's a broom closet down the hall. That's very interesting. I I just remember I'm, I'm meeting someone in the lobby. I'd take the body there myself, but I'm not strong enough. Goodbye, Miss Marsh. I'll scream. Go right ahead. The hotel detective will show up. Just a man I'd love to see. And I'll tell him you killed that man. Oh. Now, would you help me? Suppose we get caught. Then you'll help me. Now, wait a minute. You said we. Now, I'll open the door and watch the hall. Uh, case the joint, as they say in the mysteries. And then you whisk the body into the closet. You're strong. You can do it. Oh, sure. I'm strong, all right. But not in the head. <laughs> This can't be happening to you, Holiday. You can't be dragging a body down the hall of the Bradford Hotel. You know better. And as soon as you can get away from this charming but cracked old gal, you're going to talk to the police. Harry. Harry. I'll open the closet door. Put him in right there. Stick him in good. Here. Here we are. I must be crazy. Now back into my room before anybody sees us. There. Wasn't that easy? Easy, she says. Well, I must say you carry out your part very well. What's next in this little scheme of yours, Miss Marsh? Why don't you know? We have to find out who killed that Michael O'Brien. You know who he is? Well, I do now. I went through his pockets... Risk dim, as they say in the stories. Well, that cuts it. You stay here. I'm going downstairs. Who's that? Just keep cool. I'll handle everything. Oh, I can't believe this. It just can't happen. My name is Kling, Lieutenant Homicide Bureau. Oh, come in. Come in, won't you? I intend to. Holiday, what are you doing here? Hello, Lieutenant. Oh, do you two know each other? Never mind the social chatter. I thought this was some kind of a gag. Now I'm sure of it. Holiday, just what are you trying to dream up? If I told you, Kling, you'd never believe me. Sit down, Lieutenant. Uh, can I get you some sauerkraut juice? Well, I don't mind if I'm... Some what? Sauerkraut juice. Uh, no, thanks. Now listen, somebody, some crackpot phoned in a tip that there was a dead man in this room. Why, Lieutenant, how can you say such things? Lieutenant, now listen. You'll be quiet. Marsh, mind if I have a look around? Not at all, not at all. Here's the closet. Now then, you can see for yourself, Lieutenant, there's nobody there. Uh, I got your name from the desk clerk, Miss Marsh. Maybe you better tell me about yourself. I can tell you all about it. I was talking to Miss Marsh. Are you Miss Marsh? Right now, I think I'm dead. You will be if you keep interrupting. Go ahead, Miss Marsh. Tell me about yourself. Certainly. I live in Muncie, Indiana. I arrived this morning for a two-week vacation. I'm well known back there, and you can find out everything about me if you care to wire. Uh-huh. Uh, how did you happen to meet Mr. Holliday here? Look, Lieutenant, if you'll permit me to tell you... I'm asking the lady. I went to school with his mother. That's what I did. Huh? see. Well, I guess it was the work of some would-be comic. But I had to investigate it just the same. Well, of course you do. Oh, but Kling, listen. Goodbye, Mr. Marsh. So long, Holiday. But Kling, wait, I want to go with you. Why don't you two have a fast game of hearts? Mr. Holiday, wasn't that thrilling? Just like in the magazines. Miss Marsh, you're going to stay in this room until I get Kling back here. Oh, no, no, no. I want to solve this case myself. 
I wonder how Kling found out that... Miss Marsh. Yes. I'm not the suspicious type, you understand, but a little bird, a, a tiny little bird has intimated that perhaps you might know who tipped off the lieutenant. Of course I know. It was I. What in the world are you doing? I made the call from the corner drugstore a little while ago. I wanted to throw the lieutenant off the trail, like they say. You know what I say? No, what? You're going down to police headquarters and tell the truth. Oh, just a second. Excuse me, please. Yes? Yes, this is Miss Marsh. Oh, you did? I thought so. Yeah, should have had 817 instead of this room. Oh, no, don't bother. I like it here. I knew it. I knew it all the time. What did you know? That was the room clerk. He got my reservation mixed up. I was supposed to get 817, and I got 718 instead. You mean the person who killed Michael O'Brien wanted to get back in here to remove the body? No, 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 it doesn't sound reasonable. No, it doesn't. Well, guess who was supposed to get this room? Never mind, we're going to police headquarters. It was Tony Bascari. Tony Bascari? He's the biggest racketeer in town. He's dynamite. Miss Marsh, he's deadly. I know, Mr. Holliday, and I love it. Oh, no, no. You are listening to Box 13, starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Now back to Box 13. Starring Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Two o'clock in the morning and I can't go to sleep. Oh, that little old girl has me worried to death. She wouldn't go to the police headquarters. And when I went down and talked to Kling, he acted as though it were a big joke and sent me on my way. Hello. This is Agatha Marsh. Now what? Where are you? At the hotel. I went up to see Tony Bascari. You what? Miss Marsh, don't you know that's the worst thing you could have done? I had to talk with him. I put the heat on him, as they say in the murder mysteries. And you're still alive? I accused him of killing that O'Brien man. I came right out with it. But of course, he wouldn't admit a thing. What do you expect him to do, break down and confess? Well, I think I've got him on the run. But I'm worried. Oh, if I had Tony Bascari on the run, I'd be worried, too. Because when I came back, I discovered someone had searched my room. Will you call the police? You should have done it a long time ago. Oh, no, 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 I couldn't. I want you to come over right away. At two in the morning? Mr. Holliday, someone's trying my door. Hang up quick. Call the room clerk. But, Mr. Holliday, I'd... Hurry, I said. <laughs> Dear little meddlesome old fool. Into your clothes, Holiday, because here we go again. And don't forget your Boy Scout badge. You'll make the Beaver Patrol tonight. The clerk said she hadn't called the desk. I wonder... No, she would have screamed. Someone would have heard her. It's open. Cleaned out completely. No Miss Marsh, no clothes, no nothing. Not even a piece of notepaper. Hey, what's this? Paper airplane. Like the ones I used to make in school. But why should she... 
be making paper airplanes. Airplanes. The airport, that's where they took her. Keep that motor running, I'll be right back. Not many people around this hour of the night. Oh, there she is. And the man with her has his hand in his pocket, and I don't think it's there because it's cold. What I need now is a little fast talk and a little faster action. Okay, I'll take over from here. Uh, who are you? What are you talking about? The old doll. Bass Carey wants her back. Bass Carey told me to put her on a plane. I'm doing it. Yeah? He changed his mind. He wants her back. I don't think so. Besides, I never saw you before. I told you, if you don't turn her over, Bass Carey might get sore. Why didn't he call me? It's only a half hour ago. I was still at the hotel. He could have called. And spilled everything over our phone. You nuts? This don't sound right. Yeah, forget it. Taking the old doll back with me. Wait a minute. Gonna call Tony first. Go ahead, stupid. Get your ears burned off. Who are you calling stupid? Show me something that'll prove Tony sent you. Got a match? Stop stalling. This is a gun in my pocket. Let's talk to Tony. Uh, I, I've got some matches here. Thanks. Here. Oh! Get him, Mr. Holiday, quick. I'm coming. Oh, not so fast. Oh, I'm not as young as I used to be. You should have remembered that before you got mixed up in this. Come on, get in. Would you push? Driver, get out of here fast. What did you do to that guy anyway? I, I stuck him with my hatpin. I might have guessed it. Now, Miss Marsh, what happened at the hotel? Well, I hung up when I heard him trying the door, but I was too late. The door was unlocked. So it was Tony Bascari, huh? He wanted you out of town fast. Oh, but they were very nice to me. You can thank your lucky stars for that. Usually, Bascari's enemies wind up in some ditch. I didn't see him again. That man, the one you knocked out at the airport, he was the one who came in my room. Well, you must have the goods on Bascari. You must have killed this man or had him killed. But why didn't he take him out of the hotel right away? But there was a convention there last night. The whole place was literally crawling with people. Oh, that's the reason. Oh, that paper airplane. That was fast thinking, Miss Marsh. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Well, now we can go back to Bascari. We've got the goods on it. We can crack the case like they say in the murder mysteries. Miss Marsh, I've got news for you. We're not going to see Bascari. We're not? Well, where are we going? You'll hate me, I know, but it's the police station. Well, Holiday, what happens now? You've taken Miss Marsh to Kling's office. She looks at him. He nods her into his private office, and suddenly she comes out smiling. You try to leave, only Kling stops you. You stay here, Holiday. Kling, you can't let her walk the streets alone. Bascari will get her. Forget it. I've got a man tailing her. Okay, okay, but what happened in that office? What did she tell you? Plenty, my friend. She preferred charges against you. She preferred charges against me? Now, what are you talking about? Kidnapping. I kidnapped her. You took her off the plane by force, didn't you? Listen, Kling, that little old lady is a whodunit happy. She'll get herself killed. There really was a body in the hotel, you know. Look, Holiday, do you know what you're saying? 
Sure, I know what I'm saying. There really was a body in that hotel. Holiday, why didn't you tell me? I tried to, twice. Once in the room and the last time when I came in here. Now think, Holiday, carefully. Where is the body? In a broom closet down the hall. I put it there. You put it there? Yes, I put it there. Holiday, get out of here. Well, Holiday, now you're fixed. Even Kling looked at you like those things in your belfry weren't bats. They're more like eagles. But you're in it now, so you've got to follow through. And that indicates a fast ride over to the Bradford Hotel. Oh, clerk. Hey, clerk. Uh, yes? I'd like to find out who occupied Agatha Marsh's room the day before she did. Uh, that question is highly irregular. Oh? Then here's a $10 bill that's highly regular. Oh, <clears throat> let me think. Uh, she has 718. She checked in day before yesterday. Yes? The man who had the room before that was a traveling salesman in uh, lady suits, I believe. Uh, he must have cut quite a figure. <laughs> She must be in this hotel someplace. Her room's empty, but she must be around. But where? What are you worrying about, Holiday? You couldn't wait to get rid of her. Now you can't wait to get her back. You're a character who belongs back in the Middle Ages with a tin union suit for cold nights. She'll probably show up safely with that detective tailing her. The broom closet. Wonder if the dead man is still in there. Must be. Kling hasn't showed up yet. Oh, 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 hello, Mr. Holiday. Miss Marsh, what happened? How'd you get in that closet? Isn't this thrilling? No, it isn't. There was a detective trailing me, but he was knocked unconscious. Sapped, as they say in the murder mysteries. And you were brought up here? By the same man who tried to put me on the plane. He hit the detective, put me in the car, and brought me here. Well, you two, what are we playing now? And where is the man I put on you, Miss Marsh? He was hit over the head, Lieutenant, but I'm sure he's all right now. This the closet where you said the body was? Was is right, Lieutenant. Yeah, let me take a look. You know what I think, Holiday? What? I think both of you crackpots are making this all up. I don't believe there ever was a body. Kling, you have my word for it. Your word doesn't mean as much as a Chinese dollar. Kling, listen. They brought her back here, locked her up. They took the body away, didn't they, Miss Marsh? Probably going to sink it in cement, as they say in the murder mysteries. Bascari's in his room, I'll bet. Go up and talk to him. Surely, put the heat on him. Just once more, I'll play with you kiddies. Come along. Where? Miss Marsh's room. I'm locking you pixies in till I get to the bottom of this. <laughs> been gone 15 minutes. I wonder what's happening up there. Not much. I haven't heard any shooting. No, that's... I haven't heard any... In that case, how could a man be shot here and that shot not be heard? Oh, it's very easy, Mr. Holliday. The, the killer would use this. Oh, Miss Marsh, now where'd you get that gun? Just took it out of the drawer. It was here all the time. Well, put it down until Kling returns. But I just want to show you why the shot wouldn't be heard. What do you mean? Would you excuse me, please? You see this bath towel, Mr. Holliday? Yes, what about it? Well, a smart person would take the gun like this, wrap the bath towel around it like this, 
You know, Miss March, you found out a lot since you came here. Oh, yes, I've done all right since early this morning. Early this morning? But the clerk said... I talked to Tony Biscari and he said... Clean, look out! Give Miss March, give me that thing. You shouldn't have moved, Mr. Holliday. I was really shooting at you. What's this all about, Holliday? What was she doing with that gun in her hand? She was going to kill me, just like she killed Michael O'Brien. That little old lady killing somebody? Miss March, you, you did kill him, didn't you? Then you called me, and you got Kling to come up here and catch me dragging the body away. Only he came a little late, as usual. Now, wait a minute, Holiday. Then when you couldn't pin it on me, you tried to hang it on Tony Biscari. Now, what did you do with the body? Dragged it back to the closet in this room. Oh. And I suppose you sat the detective who followed you, too. It was easy. I got him to turn around and hit him over the head with my purse. Why did you kill Michael O'Brien? Did you have something against him? No, no, I never saw him before. Then why kill a perfect stranger? I saw a play once. I liked those ladies in that play. They killed lots of people. I wanted to also. Only I should have done it like the ladies. You don't mean arsenic and old lace. Yes, and I should have worn the lace and given you the arsenic. Well, Holiday, you're back in your apartment again. The sun is shining through the window, a sun you might never have seen again. You know, I've got an idea for you, Holiday. Give up this business and go into something quiet. Like night watchman in a cemetery. Holiday. Uh, well, what's that, Kling? They examined the old girl down at the psychopathic ward of the city hospital. She's batty as a loon. You're telling me. I saw that in her eyes when she wrapped the towel around that gun. But uh, what happened to Bascari and his stooge? When she heard he was in the room above, she tried to pin the body on him. Oh, so he tried to get her out of town in self-defense. Hmm. Holiday, you're a very lucky, lucky guy. You can say that again and again. And again. Oh, just a minute. Hello, Mr. Holiday. Susie, what are you doing up here at my apartment? Why aren't you down at the Star Times? Well, my boss and I have been talking about another compromise. Another one? He wants to fire me, and I want to quit. Oh, but Susie, if you left the paper, what would I do for my mail? I was thinking... Maybe you'd like to hire a good combination stenographer and secretary, huh? That's you? That's me. Well, I don't know, Susie, but as they say in murder mysteries, I'll have to think it over. You better think fast. Good help is hard to find. Goodbye, Susie. Next week, same time, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holliday in Box 13. Alan Ladd appears through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures and may currently be seen in Wild Harvest. Box 13 is written and directed by Ted Hediger. Original music was composed and conducted by Rody Schrager. This is a Mayfair production. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you mystery, adventure... 
Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What? Who? Who is this? Who wants to speak to Mr. Wolf? Nobody. Nobody? I said that. Hang up. It's late and it's too cold. And even if it weren't, I would not consider for one moment moving from this room. Please, Mr. Wolf, I can't hear a thing this old gentleman's saying. Does it matter? You heard what I said? No. Now, what did you say? You were late because she was killed. Well, who was killed? I can't hear you. What is it about, Archie? He says he was due here an hour ago, but she was killed. Who was killed? What does he want? Uh, do you want us to solve the crime? I said, do you want us to find out who killed her? Oh, he says he knows who did it, but he has an important message for you. Well, then come right over. We'll be waiting, Mr. Jenkins. Archie, why do you insist on taking every silly little case? Because, boss, we need to recover from March 15th. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that renowned genius who is the bulkiest, balkiest, most ponderous, and most brilliant detective in the world. Yes, none other than that chairborne mass of unpredictable intellect, Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you in a new series of adventures of this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. This case I like to refer to as the case of the Telltale Ribbon. Perhaps a better title would be Wolf Goes A-Hunting. For in a way, this was one of those unusual instances in which my boss, of his own free will and without any coercion, actually decided to leave the house and go to the scene of the crime. It started when the strange old gentleman who phoned us finally arrived. Well, there's our client, Mr. Wolf. Evening. It's me. Who's me? Oh, I, I just phoned you. I, I'm Jenkins. I got a dispatch for Nero Wolf. Oh, you're Jenkins. Well, come in, come in. Uh, Mr. Wolf, this is Mr. Jenkins. Says he has a dispatch for you. Yep. Yeah. Are you Wolf? I am. Where is the dispatch from? Don't know. You, you don't know? How come? Oh, I know, but I'm supposed to say I don't. See? That's my job. What is? Just to say I don't know. What about the matter? Yeah, who was killed? Oh, my goodness. It was a terrible thing. We were just crossing the turnpike, and this fella come at us out of nowhere. The killer? Yeah. Must have been drunk, I guess. Well, how did it happen? Did he shoot her, stab her? Oh, no, no. He ran into her with his car. And she was only nine years old. Your granddaughter? No, no, it was Bessie. But the police got him. I, I have to appear, I guess. Probably get 90 days, he will. For murder? Murder. Was somebody murdered? I must have missed something. Look, we're talking about Bessie, and what do you want us to do about it? Nothing. Bessie's my old horse. Oh, no. Uh, but say, who was it that was murdered? Nobody yet. Good night, Mr. Jenkins. I thought you said it was important. It might be. At least that's the way I was told. What might be? Uh, this here letter I was bringing to you. This is dispatch. Well, got to get along now. Uh, goodbye. Well, get him. What a pixie. What is in the envelope? Mr. Wolf, look. Five $100 bills. And the note says, Mr. Wolf, your services are desperately needed. Come up this weekend as my guest. Signed, E. Malott. Edwin Malott, the wealthy manufacturer. Hmm. Well, looks as though you're going out this weekend. Well, our GP, my respects to Mr. Malott, and I hope you enjoy the weekend. Good night.
something certainly phony about this. There's no party going on here tonight. Yes? What is it? Is this the Malotte place? It is. What do you want? My name's Goodwin. I'm a guest of Mr. Malotte's. A guest? Yes, he invited me down for the weekend. Weekend? Oh. Well, you better step in, please, Mr. Goodwin. Quite a bolt you've got on that door. Yes, isn't it? Just sit down there, please. I'll get Mr. Malotte. He's in the library. Oh, here he is. This is Mr. Goodwin, sir. Says he's come down for the weekend. Mr. Goodwin? Good evening. You've come for the weekend, you say? Well, yes. Wasn't that the idea, Mr. Malotte? Well, I, uh, I don't understand, Mr. Goodwin. Didn't you send me this note asking me to come here? Note? I did not. Oh, well, well, this is my personal note stationery, but I don't recall sending this. I didn't even type it. And I'm in the habit of signing my name with a pen, not with a typewriter. E. Malotte. You're certainly Edward Malotte. Yes. Services are desperately needed. What does this mean? What services? Who are you, Mr. Goodwin? Are you serious? I'm a private investigator. I'm Nero Wolfe's assistant. Oh, indeed. Nero Wolfe, eh? I know of him, yes, indeed. And you really don't know anything about this note? I do not. Are you having a weekend party here? <laughs> I most certainly am not. Then who sent this? And there were five $100 bills as a retainer. I haven't the slightest idea. Oh, uh, Dorothy. Yes? Would you step in here, please? Uh, Miss Davis is my private secretary. Uh, she may know something about this. Yes, Mr. Malotte. What is this? I... Uh, Dorothy. Oh. Dorothy, this is Mr. Goodwin. How do you do, Mr. Goodwin? Well, I... How do you do, Miss Davis? Uh, yes, yes, well. Uh, Mr. Goodwin is assistant to Nero Wolfe. You don't say. Nero Wolfe, the detective? Well, I've heard a great deal about him. And about you, too, Mr. Goodwin. Well, now I'm mighty glad to hear you say that, Miss Davis. Uh, Mr. Goodwin has Edward. a note here. Is anything wrong, Edward? I heard voices... Oh, do we have company? Nothing is wrong, Eva. I was calling Dorothy, that's all. Oh, oh this is Mr. Goodwin, Eva. My wife, Mr. Goodwin. How do you do, Mrs. Malone? Mr. Goodwin, I... Oh, yes, how, how do you do? Uh, now, as I was about to say, Dorothy, Mr. Goodwin... What's going on? Mr. Goodwin, uh, this is my son, Larry. Good evening. What's wrong? Uh, Mr. Goodwin has been invited here for the weekend. He has an invitation supposedly written by me. At least uh, it's on my stationery. Look at this, Dorothy. Know anything about this note? No. No. I certainly didn't write it. But it's my personal note paper, and my signature is typewritten. I'd uh, never do that. Well, somebody sent it. Who's Jenkins? Jenkins? Never heard of him. A little dried up old man. He delivered it to us. Yeah, maybe it didn't even come from this house. I'm positive that it didn't. Never heard of Jenkins. You have a typewriter here, of course. Yes. I'd like to see it. Uh, certainly, Mr. Goodwin, in the library. How far have you come, Mr. Goodwin? From New York, Manhattan. Oh, and it's such a dreadful night, too. Yes, yes, and it is rather late. Late? It's only 7.30. Why not stay here for the night? Plenty of room? Yes, Mr. Goodwin, plenty of room. Well, I, I don't really think that's necessary. I, uh... On the other hand, it would be a tough drive back to the city in this storm. I'll accept your hospitality, Mr. Malotte. Very good. Oh, uh, Jeffries, show Mr. Goodwin to the uh, east wing. And uh, take care of his car. Yes, sir. Good night, Mr. Goodwin. You, you mean you're all going to retire now? I haven't even had my dinner. We retire very early here. But Jeffreys will prepare anything you want. Good night. Oh, dear, who moved that phone? Uh, hello, Wolf speaking. Archie, boss. Well, I'm here at Malotte's place, but there ain't no party. 
What happened? Are you in the right house? I'm afraid I am. They've all gone to bed. Weird bunch. His wife, who looks very sickly and I think wants to say something to me alone, and Larry the son and Malat's secretary, Dorothy Davis. She has me bothered a bit. How unusual. Especially if she's pretty. A beauty. But she seems to know all about me. Hmm. You better come home, Archie. I can see you're in no condition to handle this case properly. Give them the money back. Oh, I forgot to tell you. They don't want me here. Malat didn't send the note. No one here knows anything about it, so we can keep the dough. Interesting indeed. The circumstances would indicate that you should stay there and wait for it to happen. For what to happen? For whatever it is the fates have conspired to have happened there while your shining little ego is in the midst of it. Bye. It's Archie Goodwin, Mrs. Mallott. Come in. Come in, please. I saw you give me the eye when I was about to leave. I've been waiting till I felt sure they were all asleep. Now, what's up? I wrote you that note. I sent for you. How do I know that? Old man Jenkins is a scissor and knife sharpener who happens along every month or so. They wouldn't know him. I put five $100 bills in the envelope. Okay, Why? My life is in danger. I've been threatened. I received three notes through the mail. They were all postmarked in New York City. Could I see them? Here they are. All typewritten. Hmm. The first one reads, There is no love for you in Grey Gables. The second, Why stay on in the face of death? And the third, The time is shorter than you think. Do you think this is a, well, an inside job, Mrs. Mallard? At first I didn't. But lately I've come to think it is. What caused you to think that? For some time I've been having severe spells. I thought it was indigestion. But then it occurred to me that I always broke out in cold perspiration. I was left horribly weakened, terribly thirsty. Thirsty? You fear you're being poisoned? Yes. And since the thought came to me, I've been living in fear. Fear of every bite of food or drink. It's so shattered my nerves that I have to take these yellow sleeping capsules to even close my eyes. Well, here's your husband and his secretary and your son, Larry. Larry is my stepson. Which one do you suspect? The secretary, Dorothy, or my husband, or both. What's the motive? Well, they're in love. She's been here over two years, and they've spent most of their time together. The idea never occurred to me till last week. And when I watched them, it, it was quite obvious. Anybody else know about these three notes? Oh, no. Then I'll keep them for a while. Good night, Mrs. Mallott. And don't worry. What are you doing, Mr. Goodwin, snooping around his father's library? Well, Larry, I was just trying to find out if this Remington was the machine you used to type those notes. What? What notes? The notes you sent your stepmother. Why, I don't know anything about any notes. Then why were you so startled? I'm not startled. I just, well, uh, why would I threaten her? So you do know about them. I didn't mention the contents of the notes. I just happened to see them on the table in her sitting room. You don't care too much about your stepmother, do you? Oh, she's all right. You don't care too much about Dorothy, either, do you? I certainly don't. Why not? Well, I don't like her tactics, making a fool out of my father. If anybody here sent those notes, she did. You think Dorothy would have a motive? I certainly do. Of course, you wouldn't have a motive, would you? No. Well, I'm inclined to think you would. Well, just what motive would I have? You don't seem to like any woman who's too close to your father. Maybe because you'd resent anyone sharing in the estate if your father died. If I were you, Mr. Goodwin, I'd leave. Tonight. And the sooner the better. Good night. 
Archie! Archie! Oh, confounded boy. Yes, Archie? You have the wrong number. This is Sherlock Holmes speaking. Why didn't you go to bed like the others? You don't have to push it. It'll happen. Eva Malotte thinks she's being slowly poisoned. Suspects her husband and his secretary. She could be right. What are the symptoms she suffers? Gastric disturbances, weakness, thirst. Gee, what about the son? Have any ideas? He doesn't like his stepmother and is decidedly against his father's secretary, Dorothy. He knew all about the notes Mrs. Malotte had received. Saw them on her dressing table. He believes Dorothy's the culprit. Then I should say that Dorothy should be the next on your list. You can say that again. Be careful, Archie. Use your head this time. Incidentally, Larry advised me to leave the place tonight. Bit of a threat it was, too. What shall I do, Mr. Anthony? Do nothing. The trouble will come to you. Bye. Oh. Hello there, Mr. Mallard. I thought you'd turned in for the night. It's quite obvious you thought so, Mr. Goodman. What are you doing in the library? Why, just looking for something to read. You'll find the books all around the walls, not on my desk. Well, I was looking for a particular kind of book. I'm very much interested in poisons. Poisons? Yeah, a hobby of mine. You happen to have any books on toxicology? I do not. And what's that book on the fourth shelf right beside you? Why, I, I uh... Oh, oh toxicology... Where did that come from? Never saw it before. Hmm... Uh, perhaps it was in that uh, assorted collection I bought a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't noticed it. Larry probably put them on the shelves. Mr. Mallard, how long have you known Dorothy, your secretary? Uh, a little over two years. Did it ever occur to you that she might be, well, infatuated, in love with you? What? Well, of all the... Now, see here. I don't know what you're up to, and I don't know how you got hold of my stationery to write that fake note. It isn't a but fake I... note, Mallard. I'm only trying to find out what's back of it. Mr. Goodwin, there is nothing going on here that requires the services of a detective, and Dorothy is not in love with me. I didn't say she was. I asked you if you thought she might be. Well, since this conversation seems to concern me, I suppose I am at liberty to come in. Oh, you're still up too, Miss Davis. Did you hear what this man said, Dorothy? Yes, I did, Mr. Millard. And I'd like to have a few words alone with Mr. Goodwin, if you don't mind. Mr. Goodwin, would you mind coming with me for a few minutes? No, not at all. And... Well, it's rather late, Mr. Malott. Don't you think you should retire? It's a heavy day tomorrow. Well, uh, uh, yes. Yes, I suppose I should. And please, don't let this upset you. Mr. Goodwin has been misinformed. I'll straighten him out. Come on, Mr. Goodwin. The bar is right across the hall. I'll fix you a nice, soothing drink. That'll be nice. Well, now, what would you like, Mr. Goodwin? In the way of drinks? Oh, well, some 7-Up. Really? <laughs> well, just sit down over there. Okay, what do you want to talk about? Well, where did you get the idea that I was in love with Mr. Millat? First, suppose you tell me if you are in love with him. Yes, I am. But until a few minutes ago, he wasn't even aware of it. I worship him and his work. I never wanted him to know because he's married. It would have caused trouble and I'd have had to leave here. But now he knows it's true. Well, now that he knows, what will happen? Well, I'm going to leave tonight. Now. I see. And since I don't own a car, Mr. Goodwin, I'm going to ask you to do me a very great favor. Will you run me into New York? I want to leave without a word. If I wait till morning, I'll have to explain to Mr. Millard and... Well, that would be most embarrassing, Archie. Oh, now it's Archie. You, you don't really mind, do you? 
No, no, I guess I don't. I should, maybe, but... Uh... Don't you like your drink? What'd you put in this drink? What do you mean? What'd you dope it with? <laughs> Archie, why would I do that? Might be several reasons. There's nothing in that drink. No? Then suppose you drink it. Why? <laughs> Give it to me. I'll throw it out. If you want another drink, fix it yourself. I'll have my things ready in five minutes. Are you going to take me? Sure. Certainly I'm going to take you. But are you sure you have to go tonight? I must go tonight. Now. Wish I knew why. Mr. Wolf's always so right. What? Just talking to myself. Dorothy! Larry! Jeffries! Come upstairs! What's happened? Call Dr. Hauser. Something terrible has happened to Eva. Well, Dr. Hauser? Ah, oh, poor Mrs. Malott. No, there's nothing to be done now. It's all over. Eva. Eva. You'd better lie down, Mr. Malott. I'll phone and take care of everything. I'll be here if you need me. I uh, have to make out the certificate. Yes, come along, Mr. Malott. Just a minute. You too, Larry. I don't want to make this any more unpleasant for you, but, Doctor, just what are you going to put on the certificate as the cause of death? Acute gastritis. Is that what you've been treating her for? Well, she's had several attacks lately. I'd warned her to be cautious of her diet. And that was wise advice, too. Did you know about these attacks, Mr. Malott? Yes, I did. And you, Dorothy? Yes, I knew. And you knew also, Larry? Uh, no, I, I knew she hadn't been feeling well. How long had Mrs. Malott been suffering from insomnia? Oh, a year at least. I prescribed Nemitol. In yellow capsules? Of course. I wrote a prescription every so often calling for 12 capsules. You all knew about that, of course. I thought so. And would this be the prescription, this little box of capsules here on... Well. What's the matter, Mr. Goodwin? That box was open on this nightstand when we stepped into this room. All right, let's have the box, Mr. Malad. Thank you. Why'd you pick it up? Because I... I didn't want the stigma of suicide on Eva's name, nor mine. Suicide? Yes. Eva had this prescription filled yesterday morning. The dose is one at bedtime. Twelve capsules. She took one last night. I glanced at the open box when I came into the room, and there were only eight capsules left. I, I knew instantly what had happened. She'd taken an overdose. Doctor, do you think three capsules would be sufficient to cause her death? I doubt it very much. So do I. Mrs. Malott didn't die from an overdose of sleeping capsules. She was poisoned. Poisoned? Are you crazy? By whom? By you. Or Dorothy. Or Larry. No. I didn't do it. I didn't write those notes. What notes? Mrs. Malott had received three notes threatening her life if she didn't leave this house. Each of you had a motive, so I'm sending this body to the coroner for an immediate autopsy. I won't permit it. The police will see to it. You have no choice. <laughs> Yes, Archie. What now? Do you know who did it? How do you know anything's happened? Let us call it extrasensory perception. Well, Mrs. Malott was right. She's dead. Her doctor knew nothing about the spell she was having as being caused by anything but indigestion. How about an autopsy? It's all in the works. Looks like a metallic poison, all the symptoms. Oh? Did you search the house carefully for such a poison? I did. I'll check the drugstores in the morning. Somebody in that house will purchase some poison. Let me know when the autopsy report is in. Right. Let's see now. We have Mr. Malott, Dorothy Davis, and Larry the son. He's Mr. Malott's son, but not the child of Eva Malott, remember? Yes. Is it true that Dorothy is in love with Malott? Yeah. Dorothy admitted it to me, but claimed Malott wasn't aware of it until tonight. 
And earlier this evening, Dorothy tried her best to get me out of the house, insisted that I drive her into town. She tried to give me a drink, which I think might have contained knockout drops. You don't say. Archie, I should have Fritz drive me up to the Malort place at once. Archie, are you there? No, boss, I just fainted. And that, Mr. Wolf, is most of the story up to now. Very interesting. Yes, indeed. But it isn't true. I did not put anything in Mr. Goodwin's drink. Then did you ask him to take you into town? Yes. And I might have been found in a ditch. Oh, it's ridiculous. Why did you try to get Mr. Goodwin to take you to town? Because I felt it would be too embarrassing to remain until morning. Maybe you'd already given Mother the big dose of poison and wanted Goodwin out before it was discovered. Well, you Wait a minute. Now, Mr. Miller, you claim that you knew nothing about Dorothy being in love with you? Should we believe that? You can believe it or not. Dorothy had a motive to get rid of Mrs. Mallott. It seems that Mr. Mallott had one, too. And so did Larry. What? You admitted to me that you didn't like your stepmother. And that you disliked Dorothy even more. I didn't say that. You said Dorothy was making a fool of your father. You resented the possibility of any woman sharing in the estate. You knew about the sleeping capsules, and you could have put poison in some of them. You could have written those threat notes. And by getting rid of your stepmother and placing the blame on Dorothy, you'd be getting rid of them both. But I didn't. I did not write those notes. You were the only one who knew about them. I was not the only one. I saw Dorothy coming out of Mother's room. It was this afternoon. Mother was out taking his son back. Dorothy did it. She's the one. I think you're the one. No, no, Dorothy wrote those notes. That's a lie. No, she probably slipped into Mother's room and wrote those notes on Mother's portable. What? Hey, just a minute. Archie, come here. I never heard of sex lies. I didn't do it. You can't send me to jail. I'll kill you first. Larry, drop that gun. Don't come near me, any of you. You're such a fool, Larry. Give me that gun. I'll shoot. I'll shoot! Come on. There. Now, you better quiet down, kid. Or Inspector Kramer will take care of you when he arrives. Well, Mr. Wolf, what goes on here? Where's Goodwin? I sent him upstairs, Inspector Kramer. Upstairs to Mrs. Malott's room to check on something. Now, here he is. Yeah? What have you been doing, Goodwin? This, Inspector, is the piece de resistance. This is what Mr. Wolf has been waiting for. This little black box contains a typewriter, a portable noiseless Remington. Mrs. Mallard's typewriter. What? I didn't even know she had a typewriter. Larry knew she had one. And this is undoubtedly the very typewriter the threat notes were written on. All three of them. You were right, boss. Oh, I knew she had a typewriter, but I didn't write those notes. Oh, shut up. Archie, how do you know the notes were written on this typewriter? I've compared the type and the ribbon. They're both the same. These notes were written on this Remington. It was Dorothy! Larry, I don't believe a word you've been saying. Dorothy couldn't possibly be guilty of such a thing. If anyone is guilty, you yourself certainly have all the earmarks. Everybody's against me, even my own father. But I'm innocent, I tell you. Let me get it. I think I know who it is. Hello? Yeah, just a second. You better take it, boss. Wolf. Oh, yes, go ahead. Let's have it. Yes? He's here, but he won't mind. Yes? I see. Uh-huh. You just finished. Oh. Good. Right. Bye. Was it the coroner? The coroner. Reporting that poison was found in the sleeping capsules. And the body. Did they find poison? They did. You're right again, boss. I'm going up to Mrs. Minot's room for a while. I want you to come along with me.
Georgie? No, mostly bills and invitations to bridge parties and so on. Ah. You find something, boss? Yes and no. This pocketbook detective story. What about it? I'm just flipping through the pages and I find this corner turned down. Well, well. What is it? Look and read. Why stay on in the face of death? Interesting. The very words used in one of the notes. Give me the book. Of course, uh, this doesn't prove a thing either. But it does confirm what I was... Oh, oh. What now? This cinches it. Get them all up here, Archie. Tell Kramer to bring them all to the bedroom. Well, Mr. Wolf, what now? As you all know, Mrs. Millot was poisoned by someone who had an opportunity to put it in the sleeping capsule. Someone in this household. Yeah, but which one? The kin? I never bought any poison in my life. Be quiet, will you? No, Inspector, it wasn't there. And I suppose you think I put the rest of that rat poison in your drink, Mr. Goodwin. No, Dorothy, it wasn't you. But how did you know it was rat poison? I didn't. I just guessed. I can think, too. Then if it wasn't Dorothy or Larry, you you must mean me. No, Mr. Lott. Now, wait a minute. It had to be somebody. Yes. This is going to be painful for you, Mr. Mallott. Well, you you mean that Mrs. Mallott did commit suicide? It was more than suicide. It was suicide with an attempt to have both you and Dorothy convicted of murder. She planted things? She did. I can't believe it. Show him the pocketbook, mystery. Here's the proof. Some of the threat notes were lifted bodily from this novel. Look on the back cover. Isn't that Mrs. Millot's handwriting? Yes, and this is the other note, the one to you, Mr. Wolf, composed in pencil before she typed it out on her machine. Then, Wolf, the note you received was the same typing as the threat notes. See for yourself, Inspector. Then why the Dickens didn't Archie compare them right away? Just one of those things, Inspector. There are times when even a good detective is a bit on the, uh, shall we say, dull side. Don't you find it often true, Inspector? Hmm? Nice of you to go all the way out there, boss. I was a bit stuck. Quite all right, Archie. Yeah, there's something that still bothers me. So? How can such a sweet, motherly type as Mrs. Mallott cook up such gruesome ideas? She was a very sick woman, mentally as well as physically. She probably felt she was going to die. And her warped mind seized on the opportunity to make sure that this Dorothy didn't get her man after she was dead. And speaking of Dorothy, she's a mighty pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Some beer, please, Archie. If you were so certain that Dorothy wasn't guilty, what was the idea of spending so much time questioning her? Huh? Why, I, I, I... Never mind. The raised eyebrow department answered the question. Well, there are certain rules a good detective always follows. Some are in the book, others aren't. You mean there's nothing in the book which says a good detective shouldn't spend a few minutes with an attractive brunette, even though she is a murder suspect? The author of that book can be none other than the incomparable Archie Goodwin. <laughs> good night, Archie. Ah. You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet.
Tonight's transcribed story by John Edison was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman production, produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin, and Gene Bates, Irene Winston, Ted Von Elts, Jerry Hausner, Vic Rodman, and Bill Johnstone. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you the case of the shot in the dark. Don Stanley speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music in the air tomorrow evening, music and fun, brought to you by Dennis Day, Judy Canova, and Grand Old Opry. Charming and boyish Dennis gets himself tangled in another bewildering situation, while Judy Canova gets together with her comedy pals for some mountain-style goings-on. And Saturday also means a killer cycle trip to Nashville for Grand Old Opry. Friday's fun includes Sam Spade and, of course, the magnificent Montague on NBC.